What's up, everybody? This is Jeremy, and this is the No Holds Podcast. And man, it's going to be a good one right here. Very, very, very good ones. We also got some special guests. We have Pastor Roe Miller here, and we have my boy Andre Campbell. Yes, sir. What's up, guys? What's up? What's up, man? Dude, I'm excited. No, I'm excited excited. for you to have me on here, man. I've been watching all your podcasts, and I'm like, Trey Day needs to be on there (laughs) one day, you know? Yeah. You know, when you ask me for, you know, can I speak? You know, I'm a, I'm all down, you know, like, because I sat there and me and Jamie sat there and watched, you know, majority of all of it in the bed, you know, and man, it's some good stuff. I really enjoyed the one with you and Andrea opening up. Mm, that yeah. was, that was one of the biggest ones that, you know, impacted me, you know, like, because just, just the realness does you know, talked about on this podcast. That's what it's all about. It's just being real and being you, you know, so. Yes, sir. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate you being obedient, so (laughs) let's say that. Yeah, no, it's, I think, man, this is a, I think it's going to be good. Mm -hmm. The subject and just everything, Mm -hmm. it's the knowledge that you guys are going to bring, you know, um, I I, I think it's going to, it's going to impact some people for sure. Um. We'll just go ahead and start off with some simple questions. Favorite food? Man, man, got to be them lemon pepper wings, baby. Mm. Like, mm. shoot, just even raised in Birmingham, man, it, the biggest thing was to do Friday nights is go to a wing joint. You know, that's that's me. Hot wings, any kind of wings. That's me all day. Yeah. I'm a wing guy. Heck yeah. Dude, me too. I love wings. I've even had your wings. <laughs> yes, sir. Very good. Mm. Very. I'm trying to get there. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Ro? Man, I got to go with the go, go-to uh, steak. Oh, steak yeah. is a good medium or medium rare steak. It's my go-to. I guess that's kind of my default. It, I can almost order a steak from almost anywhere except for like IHOP. You know what I mean? You don't order <laughs> steaks from there. But like almost anywhere go-to is a steak. Play preferably. Mm. You must easy. have that good living, huh? No, that's why I go to yeah. <laughs> 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 it. My, my steaks growing up was a good old Salisbury steak. <laughs> Dude, no, man. Slim Jims and ramen. <laughs> oh, man. You're me hungry. I haven't eaten yet. Yeah. I'm getting hungry. Yeah, yeah man. No, that's, dude, I love steak too. I don't know if I would buy it right now because of the prices, but. Or you go to the store and you see the steak, they're like super high right now. Sure, you look at ground beef, man, and you're oh, like, oh my beef gosh. Is high. Yes. It is definitely man. high. Favorite color? Man, I got to say red. I'm blood out, baby. <laughs> hey. I'm blood out, I guess. Um, it's in between red. I have to say crimson because, you know, it's Alabama, but... Mm-hmm. I'm red all day long. I'm and that's, all have, that's all we have. That's all we have. I'm blood out, man. I, I love red. I love everything about red. I love red on people. You know, it's just, I don't know. I love red. Right? Yeah, no, that's, I, I like red. Mm-hmm. I do like the color red. Mm. Rope? Mm. Dang, that's hard. I was, I was, it would be toss up between white and black, like seriously. I think white. Because it's um I don't know, it goes with everything. White is just like it's clean. It it a a room that's white countertops, white cabinets, feels like it's real big, open spaces. It makes me happy. I don't know, mm. just just happy. Or because yeah. you just like white women. That's <laughs> no. <laughs> 
Hey, Andre, you just saying, bro. <laughs> hey, man, I can't say nothing because, nah. man, when I first met Ro um, in the beginning, <clears throat> coming from Detroit, uh, raised in Alabama, mm-hmm. man, I went, I went to tons of, you know, white parties, you know, and in the back of my head, I said, man, I would never be with no white girl because I just saw how they turned up at the party. <laughs> I said, no, bump what, what, a white girl. I don't want no was part it the to way do they with. dance or what? Shoot, no rhythm. Yeah, that's probably what it is. <laughs> no, but, man, I don't know. It was just, I was just hooked on my sisters and hooked on color. Mm. You know, like, I love, like, a Spanish um, girl. I love, like, Anything that had color, I was really big on it. Coming from Detroit, that's all that you're around is like predominant blacks. And so like just coming down to um, Alabama, that was the main thing that was in my head was like being with the black woman, being with the black woman. And man, when I went off to Raymond, boy, I was still, my sister's hardcore, staying with Road 2 and Man, all the <clears throat> girls that I invited over to the house was black or a girl with color. <laughs> and man, and once I just said, okay, I'm done talking to women. I'm done talking to them because, man, I was, you know, we being blunt on this show, right? Oh, yeah. uh, you know, I was a, I was a, a man hoe, <laughs> you know, and I was just being honest, mm-hmm. you know, like. It was a time that, man, I had girls over the house, like, all the time. And, you know, God, you know, that I guess that was one of my dark times, you know, like, when I just, I graduated from Raymond, I was still trying to figure out myself, and, um, you know, it was just one day, you know, I said, okay, I'm I'm going to, um, to... Camp Sunshine? No, not Camp Sunshine. Oh. I forgot what it was. Um, <laughs> it was where I met Jamie at. It was um, at a Daniel and Air Groves concert. It was a worship night I was at Raymond. And I seen Jamie. I, I met her at Camp Sunshine, and I seen her there worshiping. And, you know, like, man, Holy Spirit just hit me right away. It was like, you need to go holler at her. And, you know, in the back of my head, you know, rejection came, you know, in the back of my head, you know, because the whole status of, you know, growing up in a in a black man being with a white woman, you already know, okay, let me stay away from that because I don't know what her daddy might say. Mm-hmm. And so the rejection came right away, but I just said, hey, you know, I seen you at Camp Sunshine, you know, what's going on? We should hang out. Man, I didn't have the courage to actually ask her for a number I found her on Facebook, and I said, hey, you should hit me up sometime. She said, no, you need to call me. Ooh. And so, you know, that's how I converted all over. And these guys, you know, him, Fabian, and Andrew, and my buddy John, you know, they was like, man, you crazy. You better go You got, You got. better go holler at these white women, you know. And I'm like, man, bump them white girls. I don't want no part to do with them. And, you know, God has bigger plans for your life, man. That's, that's just being honest. Yeah. No, man. I'm gonna. We're definitely gonna get back there. But I want to hear more on. Like Rose said, white and black. You explain white now. Why? Why the black? Uh, it's hard to see stains. Hard to see things. It's black. It just kind of murdered out. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just. It, it looks sharp. I don't know. Black. You ever been to the white and black store? I mean, just the. the see, to me, it is the. 
polar opposites it's side to things it just it looks man it just looks good yeah. together no i dude i i love black i love the color black mm -hmm. I, that is like probably my favorite color and it it's a comfortable color, color huh? yeah I mean, yeah it goes with it goes with everything and it just makes you look good you know even, even if you kind of overweight black just makes you look good <laughs> <laughs> It makes you look good. Yeah. You know I mean? It just makes you look good. Yeah. I, I like the color black. Mm -hmm. Man, um, if you can go back, no, no, I'll ask you that here in a minute. Um, the best advice you've ever received? Um, I don't want to say I received it from somebody, but it's an old movie that was back in the day, and it was called Angels in the Outfield. Oh, okay. mm -hmm. yeah. One of my favorite movies of all time. And in that movie, um, it was a little small, the little small black kid that was in that movie. His saying was always, it can happen. Mm. Yeah. And that's what I always mm. let myself know, you know, just when it's looking at houses, when it's looking at jobs, when it's doing um, anything big in my life, I just have that in the back of my head. It can happen. It can happen. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, I like that. I'm sticking with that. <laughs> what you got uh, I had a really good friend like a sister to me that would always say um, wherever you are be all there that means you know I like that be all in wherever you are uh, just don't don't think about what's going on tomorrow don't think about what's going on you know outside of the room don't be on your phone wherever you are be all there this is good you know mm -hmm. um, put your phone down be more engaged and that's something i try to live by every day it's a struggle because we live in this multitasking world where we're we're Technology. responsible for everything in the world and we we put the weight of the world on our shoulders um as if we're god where mm -hmm. we're gonna you know i gotta take care of this and I, my kids need this and i gotta go to work and then and what if what if i forget this and what if i do this and um and Truly, we don't stop to be all there. We don't stop to to put a hundred percent into that moment, a hundred percent into that person. Um, we end up, I think, in, in some form or fashion of selfishness, mm -hmm. of some form or fashion of where we um, are neglecting the, the the thing that's right in front of us. Mm -hmm. it, it, it just reminds me of the story of Jesus uh, and Martha and, and Mary and, and you know and she's running around trying to get the house clean and get everything perfect and and you know um, I believe it was uh, Mary was at the feet of Jesus and just putting oil and anointing him. She was in that moment. She was she, wherever she was. She was all there versus focusing on everything else. And uh, you know I, I'm I'm always so guilty of that of going a hundred miles per minute. And I, I try to think of that and I go, man, that, that was the, probably the best advice is because I'm eight, I'm like everywhere, squirrel, right? And so just going, all right, be all there. Yeah. Be wherever you are, just be all there. Dude, that's so good, man. Mm -hmm. Love it. I love it. Um, the worst advice you've ever received? I'll go first on this one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the worst advice I ever received was uh, get as many girls as you can. That was the absolute worst advice I've ever received in my life. But that was the model we lived by in the hood. Mm. That was just normal. It, it was it's um, be a player, be a Mac. That was that is the the no 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 don't do that. It, it hurts you. It hurts them. It, it hurts your soul. It 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 is it is horrible for you. And it's something that um, the earlier you learn that, the harder it is to get out of you. 
Mm. It is something, you know, where you 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 have soul ties, you give a piece of yourself here, give a piece of but what you what you end up doing is you, you get some behaviors that carry over that you don't think about. There's things that you don't really you don't you don't necessarily see until you, you start to learn that that's not right and you start to change and grow and you think it's you know 18 20 years of it you immediately are going to get it out of you but it doesn't happen immediate mm, it's yeah. a process right and so that is the absolute worst advice <laughs> anyone has ever given me i think that this advice is up there with robbing a bank yeah it's terrible <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i yeah i agree yeah that that's good that's very good I don't know if I ever had some bad advice that somebody um, told me or I came around to. Um, I could fall on the lines with Roe, you know, because I guess I I heard that too, you know, growing up. I think as as guys, you, you hear that in oh, high yeah. school, you know, like, um, man, get on them, you know, and the more the merrier, you know. So I don't think I actually had somebody, you know, like, say anything you know like bad advice to me that i can think of at this moment mm. so no. oh, that's good mm -hmm. what about um if you can go back and talk to your teenage self what advice would you give man um take life serious man take school serious <laughs> because going back and you know um, what ro was talking about man all about in high school, it was just, man, I worked at the car, I mean, I worked at a, um, a car wash. It was making money, football, and girls. You know, and if I can go back, I would just tell myself, man, focus more on school. Take it more serious. Yeah. Teenage Andre. <laughs> yeah. Teenage Andre. Mm-hmm. Um, probably... That I would just say this too will pass. This too shall pass. That's probably what I would say is, you know, it was rough for me during, you know, my teenage years. I was awkward. Um, I didn't love myself. Uh, I thought everything was the end of the world. Mm. You know, um, I took things very hard. Whereas probably realizing that, you know, like teenage crushes were hard. You know, I had one girl that I was so in love with, thought I was going to marry. And that hit me hard for years, right? Because I wear my heart on my sleeve. And so I, I grew callous from that, um, you know, family issues. And that thought that was going to be my life. That that had to be me. Mm. Uh, this was going to encompass my life. And so I would just tell myself, this too shall pass. It's, it's just a day. You know, it's just a day. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's good. This too shall pass. I like it. I like it. Mm -hmm. um, would you rather be loved or feared? Loved. Yeah, I say loved all day because I'm a people person. And so not just, not to say like, I, you know, when people say that they don't want to please people, in a way, yes and no. Because you do want to please, you know, people. You want to please them, showing them the love of God, you know. You want to, you want them to see the best of you. And so, I say, man, I'd rather be, I'd rather be loved all day, you know. Yeah, I, I think fear is bad in the sense of, 
yeah, fear you get a little bit of power uh, while you're around. And, and while you're around, it's on people's mind. Um, and people will jump when you tell them to because they, they fear you. But when you're loved, when you're not around, people are thinking about you. People will run through walls for you. Mm -hmm. people, That's good. People will do anything for you because um, they go, that guy, you know. And, it, and, and generally speaking, when you're loved, they overlook your flaws. Oh, yeah. They know you have flaws, but they overlook them. Yeah. And so um, it allows you time to grow, time to change, um, time to develop. But also it gives you a sense of purpose because it works both ways. It's real hard to love someone and you, you hate them. You can't. If I'm loving on you, eventually I will wear you down. You can't hate me for forever. You will eventually yeah. wear down. And yeah. I will get better results if, if you love me than if you fear me. Mm -hmm. That's so good. I like it. Yes. Wow. Real good. You know, y'all were talking about, I guess y'all pretty much grew up similar. Same same place. Yeah. Or, same for a little place while around the corner. Around the corner from <laughs> yeah. each other. Yeah. Never known each other at all. But not just, until, yeah, not until we went to Rayma. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. So where, where were y'all from? Where you really um, from? Born Detroit. Born Detroit, Michigan, seven mile in Evergreen. People, when they say, yeah. when they think of um, Detroit, they think of Eight Mile. Yeah. And you have to actually go to Detroit and actually see the Eight Mile runs east side, west side. Like eight, it runs like 20 different yeah. cities. Yes. Besides Detroit's on one side and then Southfield's on one side and you got mm -hmm. Auburn Hills. You got all these other cities that's over there. Yeah, but mine was six, I mean, six mile and seven mile in Evergreen. That's really, I grew up, my grandma's house was between Seven Mile and Evergreen, so right around the corner, so just right there. We could, we, Literally it was half, it was right half a mile to yeah. eight mile, and it was half a mile to seven mile. Wow. So we, we, we knew a lot of the same people and didn't even know mm -hmm. each other. So. Went to the wow. same church or word of faith. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, I'm not sure if you ever went to camp. No, nah, I never got to go to camp. Didn't have any money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get wow. to go to camp until I moved to Alabama. Mm. We really still didn't have the money, and you know I had to work to get that money. But um, living in Detroit, man, it was—it's very tough for it's, anybody it's to tough, actually grow up in Detroit. And it's real tough to try to live right. Mm. I'm just mm -hmm. gonna be honest because you're a square, you're a lame, but when 95%, I mean, man, woman, child, grandmas, everybody is scheming and plotting yeah. either on the system, you know, whether it's the government or the local or, or even something so yeah. simple as sneaking on the bus, sneaking food in the movie theaters or not paying for a movie ticket. That's just normal. I remember being taught how to steal. Wow. Taught how to steal. Yeah. I remember laying, wow. um, having to sleep on the floor. They had something that was in um, Detroit <laughs> called Devil's Night. Oh, yeah. Devil's, Devil's Night. Devil's Night. Yes. Yeah. And so my mom would always say, this is, the, um, she was like, all right, y'all, tonight is Devil's Night. Now they call it Angel's Night. Yeah. So weird. It's it's um right before, it's Halloween, isn't it? Or is it the day before? I think it's the day before. I can't remember, I'm not sure. One of the two. But my mom used Probably. to tell us, she said, okay, y'all, it's Devil's Night. We're going to be sleeping on the floor tonight. Mm -hmm. So what people do in Detroit, and times might have changed, but people would go through the neighborhoods 
with their guns shooting up in the air. Mm-hmm. Set old abandoned houses, man. You drive in Detroit. One day we're going to have to go to Detroit. I was just yeah. telling Jamie, we all need to make a road trip and just go. Mm-hmm. And y'all can experience the inner life city. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Detroit summertime? Shoot. Popping. Jumping. Jumping. Yeah. Like, everybody is out barbecuing, oh, you yeah. know, like it's, it's the city life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Detroit has a lot of poverty. Lots of inner city. Man, because I remember growing up in Detroit and <clears throat> man, there was a good bit of middle schools. There were a good <clears throat> bit of high schools. When I went back after um I finished Camp Sunshine to try to save up money, um, they... Closed down majority of all the high schools that's in the inner city. Yeah, they closed down. And when you combine when you combine um, a school district that's on the east side to a school district that's on the west side, you already know you're gonna have fights all day. All day, yeah. Because you get you get people that say, "Man, I'm Joy Road. I'm Joy Road." And then you get people that's over here that say, "I'm Holland Park." I'm Holly Park. I don't know if anybody ever claimed Holly Park. <laughs> no, my dad still claimed Holly Park. You know, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, Holly Park was Holland Park back in the day was one of the most wealthiest places. You long see a lot, ago. yeah, a long time ago. You see a lot of colonial homes. So Detroit used to be on a really high market because of Ford, mm-hmm. Chrysler. GM and GM. Mm-hmm. You know when uh, when all those big motor companies collapsed that that city just it was already poverty now it's like yeah yeah no. barely getting by like my mom she bought her house in detroit for a thousand bucks yeah like no that's that's cheap that's, that's i mean that's cheap. normal that's that's normal now it, it's a i mean i'm really proud about it too yeah well and it's like and it's in the hood we we grew up with turntables you know you go mm-hmm. in with bulletproof four inch bulletproof glass into the store That's you McDonald's. pass it through the turntable and get a murder mm-hmm. mac on joy road yeah. southfield everybody knows like murder that. mac right yeah you just don't go there after night you don't go you get you, i mean you possibly going to get shot and it's still like that way to this day cuz my mom live off of Joy Road right now. Yeah, and it's still still and that's what you grew up in was you always had to watch your back. You claim everybody claimed the street, right? So if Joy Road was having a fight against anybody, I don't care school if it was craft. school craft, uh Dexter or Linwood or it, it's it's that or you claimed your high school, you get on the bus and if it passed two high schools, you knew you were going to fight. If you were if he's fighting, you fighting cuz you with him. Hmm. It yeah. was that was the the norm was trying to survive. So it was always getting over or one up. And so even your homeboys, you still never knew if y'all were gonna be homeboys for real mm-hmm. or if it something was gonna change. If he yeah. gets jealous because you got a new pair of shoes or or you got a girl or or you got a good grade or you did anything, you didn't know. Hmm. You it's know? so it's so crazy there because and it's not to knock Detroit because I know Detroit is not for me, but it's for other people. But whenever I graduated Camp Sunshine, I had in my head, um, I said, I'm going to go stay with my mom. And mom, at this time, my mom stayed on Seven Mile of Evergreen. Um, I'm going to stay with my mom and I'm going to save up money. I'm going to get me a car because I never mm-hmm. had a car mm-hmm. in my name before. Um, I'm going to save up for a car and I'm going to save up for at least six months of rent and move back to Tulsa. 
So I have a wad of my money in my right pocket for all of all the money that I had at Camp Sunshine, well, majority of it, all in my right pocket. And then in my back pocket, I have my mom's EBT card. And I told my mom, why I didn't jump in her car? I don't know. I said, Mom, I'm about to go to the corner store because it's popular to go to the corner mm-hmm. store. Everywhere in Detroit, there's a corner store. Corner, corner store in Coney Island. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Coney Island, Island be jumping. Jump. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, mm. oh, I left out the house and I'm walking up to the major city. I'm walking up to Evergreen. And while I'm walking up, this is when it was real popular. I had on my backpack. I have on a, um, a flat bill hat. Um, tall tee. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anyway, I'm walking up to the store and it's an old guy that's standing here on the corner and the school released and you got a bunch of those high school kids that's across the street on the other side of Evergreen. And while I'm walking, I'm on the phone with um, our good buddy friend Fabian and I'm telling him, I said, man, God is telling me to move back to Tulsa. And he's just telling me, he was like, man, well, you need to do what God is telling you to do. But I'm like, man, I need to be saving the money. Because, you know, I need to I need to have a foundation by the time I get back to Tulsa. He was like, man, got to work it out. You just probably need to come back to Tulsa. So I just hang up the phone with him, and I'm walking down the street. And in Detroit, it's real big. A lot of people in Detroit is haters. You have a lot of haters that's in Detroit. So these kids are walking up to this old man, and in the back of, you know, like in, in the back of my head, I'm like, they about to jump this old guy. And instead of, I see them reaching in their bag, so I'm thinking, okay, one of them got a pistol. And in the back of my, uh, me, when I walked past, that kid said, let's not get him, let's get him. So when I heard them say that, I'm taking off running down the street. <laughs> I'm going. And so you got a bunch of kids that's cutting me off going right here. And this one kid, I'm running, and they all slow down, but this one kid ain't slowing down. So in the back of my head, I'm like, I'm about to fold this kid real fast. And so I turn around and caught him while he's coming up to me. I picked him up, slammed him on the ground, and I start beating him down. Next thing you know, a, um, the mother kids came and kicked me straight in the face, kicked me in the head, and I'm all balled down the ground like this. And all that I can remember is hearing traffic, everybody blowing their horns, and they just driving past. It's normal in Detroit. Nobody stops. Nobody no, no, stops. That's normal. And they just ride and pass. And I'm around probably 21 years old or so. Yeah. And so uh, one lady, she pulled up, dro- hopped the curve, and she said, get in, baby. And everybody, they reaching on my pockets. Normally, I have over $500 in my pocket. They reaching in my pockets. Didn't grab nothing out of my pocket, but they grabbed the EBT card, and they took off running. Took my backpack, took my cell phone, everything. And the lady took me back home to my mom, and I'm banging on my mom's door like, my, these boys just jumped me or whatever. My mom went in her room, grabbed her pistol, and drove right on up there. But that's that's normal in Detroit. Probably, like, I moved back with Roe at, right after that. I got on the Greyhound, moved in with Roe. Probably a couple of um, months later, my mom, she moved back up to Detroit once I graduated, but... Um, she's just getting off the bus. She called all her family members saying, hey, could you pick me up? Because her car is in the shop. Mm-hmm. Hey, could you pick me up and drop me off to the house? And nobody would pick up their phone. And so my mom had to get on a city bus. It's real popular to get on a city bus. 
in Detroit. So she got on the city bus, started going to her house. When she got off on her stop, she said she seen this car keep on going circling back and forth around the neighborhood. So my mom said she heard the door shut and the guy just ran up right behind her with a 12-gauge shotgun behind her head. Said, drop everything that you got. How are you supposed to feel if your mama telling you this? Yeah. If this is this is the norm in the big town. So my mom said she dropped everything that she had out of her back pocket. And, she, and the guy said, don't turn around. You better keep moving. And so she kept on moving. And the, they found one of the guys, because the guys were so dumb, that they used her Blockbuster card. <laughs> That's how you know it's uh, yeah. Blockbuster. <laughs> used her Blockbuster card at Blockbuster. <laughs> And they caught him, and she said she had to testify uh, testify against him in the court. And he's looking around the room because he robbed so many people that he don't even know who she is. Oh wow, that's normal. Like that's the lifestyle that we had to grow up in until my mom heard from God, and Keith Butler started. Keith Butler have churches all around the U.S., mm-hmm. but. She heard that they were starting up a ministry in Alabama and said, okay, I need to move my kids out of this and moved us to Birmingham. Hmm. So how was it growing up for both of y'all? Like, I know y'all both pretty much, y'all lived kind of in the same area, yeah. but then y'all y'all live different lives also. Uh, so like, what was it like for you growing up? Um, so growing up, I really didn't grow up with my mom. So I didn't, I mean... I remember early memories of my mom and my dad. Uh, we stayed with my mom's mother, Irvertine, uh, which is like my favorite grand. She was like I was her favorite grandchild. Um, but I remember that because my mom was adopted, and she has an adopted brother and adopted sister. And I kind of we we don't have touch with them anymore. Um, and that's been years, right? So I kind of grew up with, I got an older brother who my mom had before uh, my dad was in the picture. Then it's me, and then it's my younger brother, Lo, and then I got another brother, Ronaldo, Ronaldo, and uh, little sister, L'Oreal. Then I have a brother through my dad and his uh, ex-wife, uh, Junior is what we call him, Ronaldo Junior, and um the way we grew up was we grew up poor. We grew up where I remember taking cabs everywhere or walking everywhere or um, but I grew up seeing people in and out of the house all the time, no stability. Um, mom was on drugs, dad was on drugs, so we were absent to left with grandma sometimes or or sometimes we'd be left with a family friend or we would just be left kind of alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in a way that you survived. You you do everything for yourself. You handle mm-hmm. it. You just do it. Um, and 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 uh, didn't have a strong. My dad was around. Uh, don't get me wrong. He was around, but he worked all the time. Like he worked 60, 70, 80 hours and then he was tired and then he was trying to get himself together and fighting his demons. And then, you know, mom wasn't really around. So I, I, I didn't, you know, never really had a mom, so I, and then I had, you know, my stepmom who didn't really like us, and then, um, then I had a, a family friend, she became like our godmother, and, and, and so when I talk about my mom, it's more like a title, like, you know how the president comes in every four years, it's like, 
this person is my mom. They're one person. It's just a title, if that makes sense. So I don't distinguish who did what. It's just like the president did it. So mom did it. Nothing consistent. So I didn't really know. Uh, I didn't. And my dad was always kind of a Mac. And so I never really knew the proper way of um, how to treat women, how to approach even a healthy relationship uh, with a sister or a mother, because I didn't grow up with my sister. I didn't grow up seeing anything healthy. Everything I learned was from family matters, right? Step by step, TV shows, learning and modeling everything after that. So I kind of grew up, you know, I remember, you know, one summer we stayed at a, a crack house in Highland Park and uh, for the summer and we didn't even have blankets and it was cold. And so I know not but they had the AC on blast and I remember roaches. Right. So I hate roaches still to this day, but <laughs> roaches and, and trying to keep the roaches away and, and shivering and in a sweatshirt and going down to the corner store, scraping up enough money to go down to the corner store from pumping gas and washing people's windows so we could have food. Um, I remember that and being responsible for my younger siblings. So when I I remember eating a lot of ramen eating a lot of um, things that we could. I remember digging through the trash to eat at times. I remember my stepmom putting us out or saying, this isn't for you. Like the food, like like this is my food in the refrigerator. Or when I went to go with my grandma, she had her food, my my dad's mom, her food labeled or, or my uncle or my aunt or, or whatever in the refrigerator. Everybody, it wasn't a family. We were just some people that lived together. It wasn't that it wasn't love there, but no one, no one had seen. So my, my dad's father was abusive. Wasn't, he didn't stay married to my grandmother. His father hadn't stayed married. My dad didn't stay married. And so when you, that's what you model. That's what you see. Mm-hmm. Nobody else, you know, that's what you see. Um, when, when you're at a point where you don't really know Jesus, because my, my, my dad's side of the family was all Muslim. And my mom's side of the family, Jehovah Witness. Wow. So when you're when you're when you're talking about not knowing morals and virtues and, and things like that, and then you 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 start to hear from God, but you you still have all of these things in you that you're trying to get out. Mm-hmm. You have these demons that you fight with, but you put on this smile because the world doesn't care about your problem. I remember getting jumped in high school, swinging, and and you just look up and it's like it's too many of them. I remember fighting because I had I had some guy's ex girlfriend and fighting over this. I remember some of the wild things that um I did to try to fit in, to try to impress people, to try to be something I wasn't. I'm not a good dancer. But I always wanted to dance. I remember taking on personas so I could try to be like somebody else. I would name them. Like literally when I wanted to learn something, I'd go, this is Sir Learn a Lot. Like that was a persona that I put on. I didn't like myself. So I wanted to be, I tried to be everything to everybody. If, if, if you were all about uh, sports, then I wanted to be all about sports because that's what was cool. That's what... I thought would make someone like me. So why didn't you like yourself? What, what caused um, that? Abandonment. I felt like my mom left me. My dad left me. Nobody ever wanted me. It was always, a, um, I got to work. I'm busy. I'm this. And I don't mean like legitimate, 
But um, if I needed help with homework, I just had to figure it out. When I, If I needed something, because so many people, my younger siblings counted on me. And then I also had to pay bills because we never had enough money. I had to earn money. I had to sell candy or I had to. So I felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders all the time. I had to provide. It's my job to provide. It's my job. You know, if I, I need school clothes. Yeah, there were some, but not enough hand-me-downs. Um, so it was my responsibility. And I felt like no one loved me. And then I see my friends, you know, and then you, you start seeing people and, you know, they, they got nicer stuff and you mm-hmm. see their families go on vacation and you see them do stuff and you're going, well, why me? And then I have a stepmother telling me, well, we could do this, but it's your fault. You know, um, you, you, you ugly like your mama, you know, when you, when you hear things like that, that start to eat at you. And, um, I remember one day, um, um, stepmom punched me in the mouth with her rings on because um, I had either did something or said something. Um, I questioned her. I wasn't re- disrespectful, but I questioned something. I remember, boom, right in the mouth. Right. Mm-hmm. I remember that. I remember um, being told, you know, stay outside. You miss curfew by five minutes. Go back to where you came from. I remember riding my bike from Joy Road and Evergreen over to Seven Mile and Evergreen to where my grandmother lived. When I was in middle school, sixth grade, That's sixth grade, hall. and we did that all summer, and no one cared. And you would think, oh man, that world was different. You know all the things that could have happened, but never felt valued. Never felt like I mattered. Never felt like that I. Um, was precious. And so I grew up with an inferiority complex, right? And then uh, had some girlfriends that rejected me. And so from that, I said, I never want to get hurt again because I just, it, I was a bleeding heart and it hurt. And so you start to wear, and you know, you can't change where your heart is, but I decide to harden my heart. No one else is going to hurt me. No one's going to hurt me. And then you go to church and to some degree, they're just kids, but it's the same thing. It's a popularity contest to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, to some degree, you have the, the, the jocks, you have the pretty girls, the pretty guys, you have the, the popular people, and you want to be popular. Yeah. You want the skills to, you, you just want camaraderie. You want people around you. You just want to feel loved, and you'll do anything in your power to feel loved, to fill that void. And growing up, you know, we never had much. I was embarrassed to show people where, where I live. No, just drop mm-hmm. me off over here. Mm-hmm. Right? I was embarrassed. It's not because, and I, I didn't understand. I didn't understand that this did not have to be life for forever. I thought that was just the way. I seen my uncle and my grandmother and, 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 my, and my aunt, and they all lived in the same house for forever. And that's where they, that's where they were. That's where the, there, I had never seen anybody do any better. I, the only people I had seen do better looked down on me. Like I was nothing. I was dating a girl and her family lived in the wealthy part of town. Uh, and I mean, when I say wealthy, I mean, it was like, you know, I knew they had money. And I went over her house one time and I felt so inadequate. I felt this small. 
um, they were talking about books and things that they read and asked me what I do. And I'm, and I, and I'm in high school. I'm probably, I think I was in ninth grade or so. And I felt this big. I felt like I was nothing because I did not go to a prestigious school or I didn't have my, I, what, well, what did your parents do? They were like, they were like, um, you know, a professor and a doctor or something to that prestigious. And when I go, you know, my dad works at the city. He, you know, he, he, uh, he's a bus driver. There was, I had nothing to be proud of. I couldn't say that I had anybody in my family that had ever done anything. Well, I, I knew my, who my grandfather was on my dad's side and who my grandmother was. But I can't trace my lineage any farther. My grandfather I only knew a couple times. I remember my dad pulling over to pick him up to try to help him. And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good. He was on the corner begging for money. And I thought, well, if my grandfather's this, a drunkard, a beggar, and my father's a drug addict, and my mom's a drug addict, right? And then nobody in my family is worth anything. How am I ever going to be worth anything? How am I ever going to accomplish anything? How am I ever going to do anything? Yeah, I was smart. I could get straight A's. It was easy. Yeah, that part's easy. But what difference does it make if I have nowhere to go? Yeah, great. You get straight A's. But college is not a perspective. I have no life skills. I have nothing. No one to show me. No one to guide me. And that was up until probably until I was about 16 when I was about 16, 17 years old, and we had some youth leaders. So when did you start going to church? I started going to church. Um, I, I went the first time I, I was a kid, but I don't even really remember it. But I started going to Word of Faith when I was in, I went a couple times in ninth grade year. And that's when my, uh, before my mother died and before my dad went to prison. And then I didn't start going back to church until I was probably... Almost 11th grade, 10th, 11th grade, started going back to church. And then that's when I had some youth leaders that stepped up, some that showed me, that started to model some things for me. They didn't have it all together, but I had some guys that showed me. I had a youth pastor that showed me some things that helped me um, open my eyes, um, that took me. I remember being taken to um, the mall. Not the mall, but it was like a strip mall and they had, you know, all these shops and I can't even remember where it was in Novi or somewhere in there. And it was real nice and shown. And then I remember also being able to be taken somewhere. I learned about real estate and started learning about real estate appraisals. And I had a great mentor there where that was started to teach me some things, taught me a little bit more how to dress. Right. Don't just wear baggy clothes all the time. <laughs> started to teach me and started to help lift me up and started asking me questions like, what do you want? What do you want to do? What's important to you? You know? Well, where do you want to be? Well, why don't you, you know, hey, let me show you so you can help me. Yeah. Hey, let me teach you how to drive. Right. Let me show you some things. And that's when it started to change. It didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't, it was just a thought that I could do better. I had finally seen some people do better than what I was doing. Better than what I had ever seen. I finally had seen something I had never seen before. And that was a seed that started to get watered. Wow. Um, what kind of effect did, did, uh, did it have on you when your, when your mom died and, and when your dad went to prison? Um, I just took the weight. 
I knew I had to take care of my younger siblings. I had, my, I had a little brother there that I needed to take care of, and um, I numbed the pain. I never, I never dealt with it. I, I hadn't dealt with it until pretty recent. Um, just, I just pushed it away and said, okay, I got to work. I got to make sure that we have a place to live. We have somewhere to eat. We have, we have things. So I'm, I guess I'm the man of the house now. And because um, my stepmother kicked us out after that, no reason to keep us around. Dad's in prison. Oh, so when your dad went to prison, she kicked you out? Yeah, pretty much immediately after. I mean, two months or so. Um, so we went to stay with our grandmother, and I knew that wasn't feasible. It was she had raised her children um, to some degree, and and um, was not feasible. So we had a, a neighbor that used to live around the corner from us. So while my stepmother lived here, my neighbor lived right there, just right around the corner. And so that's where we stayed instead of staying with our stepmom. Mm. And you just we, stayed there until you graduated high school? Until I graduated high school. So uh, so 10th grade year and 11th grade year was, because um, I graduated a year early, so 10th and 11th grade year for about two years. Um, and they did, they did the best they can with what they had to teach us. To, and they, they didn't necessarily... She kind of gave up custody, if you will, and um, my stepmom didn't want to deal with that. So we, uh, she took dad's money and what he had from all his illicit activities, and um, we were nothing. So therefore, that's how I, I kind of numbed it, and and uh, yeah, mm. that's that's really wow, man. Dang it. Some some real stuff right there. Very. Very, very. What about you, Andre? Um not kinda similar like Rose. Um and it's crazy because everything that goes on in the inner city like that, like that's the normal. And it shouldn't be the normal, but I just remember growing up in Detroit. Detroit probably was some of my roughest times. Um, growing up, fighting, um, my single and living in a single pair home. But we got to go over to my dad's house um, every other week. But growing up in my mom's house and seeing your mom, I remember my mom calling us into the room, just crying and just saying. I'm about to go to jail. I'm about to go to jail because of um, not being able to um, pay the bills, like owing them so much. Um, mm -hmm. I remember growing up on Burgess, and we we had the only yellow house that was kind of decent house that my mom was renting in that neighborhood. And I remember... That abandoned house I was right there, which they set on fire during Devil's Night. And we had um, crackheads that live right next door. And they used to knock on our door um, probably every other night, just reading our mail. And so they heard my mom, like they see my mom's name, but they so strung out. And they knocking on our door. My mom's name is Sherry. And they were, um, I remember them saying, is sure home? Is sure home? <laughs> and 
like life was life was life was pretty good while I was in um Detroit and then it was kind of bad because of everything that I got into like for it was normal not to graduate mm-hmm. in um through high school or middle school in my on my dad's side of the family so on my dad's side of the family um it's me and my brother that's with my mom and then man Junior Javon, then it's another boy that I don't know nothing about, and then you have four or five other sisters from my dad. And my dad would get us all together, and we would hang out all on his side of the family, and it was good. But that's where the dark side came in was on his side of the family. That's where I learned the street life mm-hmm. was on his side of the family. My mom's family was. It wasn't that many grandkids on my mom's side of the family other than my two cousins. But it was a blessing when my mom said, well, my aunt moved out to um, out to Alabama to start off with. And I went up there for the summer. And I, um, I once I went up there, man, it was the first time I got to experience everything how to swim, I, like my wife still say, I can't swim, I can't <laughs> swim. But I learned how to swim, I learned how to play football, I learned how to play baseball. It's because I got out of that inner city and got to experience life. But once we moved down to Alabama, that really didn't change much because once that big city is in you, it will always be in you. So we were still experienced to the city life. And my mom still, she still single parent mom, still wasn't able to get uh, no kind of job. I can't even think of a good job that my mom had all in the years that we lived in Alabama. Only job that I remember my mom having was working at like a, a Dollar General and maybe like an old people home. You know, because when you come from the city life and transportation of the city life, and then when you go to Birmingham, which is no inner city transportation, how to get to jobs and stuff. Um, man, I, I remember it was times that I was a bears, you know. My mom had this old neon. And man, this neon, it would backfire on you. And I remember she had... she. Um, her coming to pick me up from school because we, when we went to high school at was definitely not in our budget. When we went to high school was in a multicultural school. It was in a high part in, in Hoover, Alabama. No, like the finances that we did have was no way that I should have been going to the school. But thank God I was able to graduate from that school. But I remember my mom coming to pick us up in that neon. And it's so embarrassing once the bell ring, all the kids are leaving out the school. And my mom's still just trying to sit there and crank up the car. <laughs> and when she finally get the car, it backfire and then we take off. And you in front of all your friends. Like, I didn't get to experience that life. Don't get me wrong, like, I am blessed the the life that, you know, um, that I was raised. But to see all your friends driving around in Porsches, um, being able to um, go to different activities. 
like the coaches had to pay for me to play football. I didn't have no finances to buy cleats and none of that stuff. Oh, so you had to buy your own equipment to, yes. to play sports. Yes. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. It was not given to This you. was in high school? This yeah. was in high school. Yeah. Um, I remember having to buy football cleats. I remember, um, man, just whenever I first finally got my job, um, I remember having to pay for a light bill, having to pay for a gas bill, mm -hmm. um, because I remember taking showers um, in a bathroom in Alabama. Like my aunt, she had a great job. And whenever my aunt was working, she, she, Cause my aunt has at least like 30 degrees <laughs> and I like she, and she's still in school this day. She always had a great job, but when she was living in the house, so it's four boys. One of the boys um, just passed away two years ago. I'm going to say, um, so now it was three boys and it was, and it was my little sister and we all grew up in that house together. And so just pictured like trying to feed four boys and a little girl. And it's my mom and aunt. But once they moved out the house and they moved to another part of Alabama, it was just my mom with, with no job or nothing. And I remember going in there, taking cold showers, like getting underneath the water and stepping back. You know, like we didn't have that, um, that life that, you know, that was like, you know, like flashy or anything. But it was just... A, a thankful you know of what we did have yeah. mm -hmm. you know because if I you know if they still raise me in Detroit I don't think that well my mom probably pushed me but it's a chance that I probably wouldn't graduate from high school there's a chance that because I look at my cousins and stuff all on Facebook right now majority of them have tons of kids that they you know that they not in their lives they haven't graduated from high school. They still um, living with mommy and daddy. Well, I don't want to say mommy and daddy, just mama. Like, I'm, I'm so thankful that God had grace was on my life mm -hmm. for my mom to move us down to Alabama. Do you feel like, and this is for both of y'all, like mm -hmm. that? Like the streets, learning the game, learning the streets, do you feel like it's helped you even now? Mm hmm Like yeah. having the street smarts. You know, you talk to yes. different people here, and, and, and not even just here. You talk to people anywhere that didn't grow up, yeah. say, in an area like that. And it's just like, man, they have no street smarts. Yeah. So, like, how has that helped you? Man, just awareness. <laughs> awareness is number one. My wife always say, she say, Andre, why are you always looking behind you? I said, because where you if you came from where I come from, you you always gonna be looking over your shoulder because you don't you don't know who's gonna be coming against you mm -hmm. at any time. Mm -hmm. You don't know anybody's motives of you know what they've been going through. Um, knowing how to bargain on things. Mm -hmm. Like that hustle life is is in my head all day long. I I, I would I would agree with that. Yeah. Um Learning, learning who the players are in a room, in the game of when I say the players, I mean like you can walk into a room and you know who to, who's in charge. 
or who's fake and not fake, right. You know, you, you or can the tell real who's, deal. Who's really friends? You can you can start to tell some of those things. But also, I learned, uh, man. I know how many card games I know how to play because all I did was gamble. That's how I made money. So I learned learned that. But I learned uh, you had to learn when to walk away. When when do you you know when, when to hold them and when to fold them? Uh, but also, I would say that learning um, what is actually the most important. Um, thing to do is safety. The most important yes. thing is, is, is when you look at a situation, you look at a group, and you mm-hmm. get that that the hair comes up oh, on the yeah. back of your mm-hmm. neck. You, you just know, know right? Uh, you you learn not to carry a bunch of cash. You you le- yes. learn to carry a throw down wallet, right? Mm-hmm. You carry two wallets, one with like a twenty and some ones, and it yes. that you throw, and you learn that you never throw it at them. You throw it away from yes. them, so that they have to go get it. So it gives you time to get away. You you learned um, that people don't always have good intentions. Uh, you, you you start to learn um, that not everybody's your friend. Not everybody has your back, best interests at heart. Uh, you, you learn that alliances and allegiances shift very quickly. Friends today, enemies tomorrow. Uh, you learn that you can't depend on man. You need to depend on God. You have to learn uh, who your actual source is versus what's not your source. Um, learning those things. I would say first in the streets. And then I would probably think is you, you learn to guard yourself and, to, and you learn to carry yourself. There's a, you know, there's a different way that you carry yourself if you want to fit in, look thuggish, or do you want to stand out? And uh, one of the most important things I learned is uh, when people, they break in cars that look clean. So, I, I mean, you leave yours dirty and nobody ever touch it. Nobody will ever break into it because they assume that if you're, you have nothing of value. Mm-hmm. You have $10 million in there, but no one will touch it. That's crazy when you yeah. said um, the money thing, and I forgot all about that. Like, even when I'm going to go get my hair cut or something mm-hmm. like that, or me and Jamie are going somewhere, I said, babe, I need exact cash. <laughs> I said, I don't need, um, like, just say if, if my haircut is $25, I'm taking 30 Yeah, that's it. That's and it. I'm taking 30 I don't need nothing else because I don't need to let them know that I have more. Mm-hmm. And that's bad. That's kind of bad, but that that's, is the the men- that's the mentality that we have that's stuck in us because... They if they know that you have more, they go they go use you mm-hmm. and um expect that you have more. Yeah. So you you take exact like for my wife like she always say, dude like if we're going somewhere big, do you want to take cash on so we don't use the car? I said no, we don't need cash on us. Mm-hmm. We don't need. I said we can always shred a car. You can't shred cash. Mm-hmm. Do you do, do you lock all your doors all the time? All the time. Is your house door always locked? Always locked. With car the, doors? Car doors always locked. I got Jamie locking the boat lock. <laughs> right. I said, you know. Out of we, habit. Yeah, out of habit. You, we, you don't, like, and it's crazy because houses here in Seminole, the first thing that I thought about when I moved here to Seminole and I hear people leaving doors and stuff open, that's a no-no for me. <laughs> but you look at these doors here in Seminole, if it's one of these older homes that we're mm-hmm. used to, boy, all, in Detroit, all you got to do is just bump Pop up it. against the door and the door is unlocked. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think about that all the time. I'm like, babe, we got to get new doors on the house. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. of the way that we were raised, like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's great. Like that's you. I want to make sure my family is protected so much that you know, just even like things that she don't know. I want to 
let her know. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. it's yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I did, I forgot all about like that. That's the rooted in me. You know, mm-hmm. man, <laughs> yeah, no, and that and that's good, man. Some I love it, man. I love yeah, that. I love that input for sure, man. I love it. Um, so when did y'all decide to go to Rama? Like what? What even? Okay, that? so I was going to Word of Faith, and um, so this favorite scripture at the time was um oh my god what did i just mark 11 verse 23 it's i think it's mark 11 verse 23 now i have to think about <laughs> it it says, it says um is it whosoever shall say unto this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt and believe and sorry it shall be done um i think that's the scripture why did i just forget you called me on the spot but um and so that was scripture at the time i think it's mark 11 23 don't don't quote me on that but that was favorite scripture and um and that popped up, right? That was that was something. So I was at a New Year's party, and a girl from Rama, uh, from Word of Faith, but she was going to Rama. Don't know her from Adam. Never seen the girl a day in my life. Handed me a Rama application and said, "God told me to give this to you." I'm like, okay. I'm like, I looked at it, I'm like, whatever. And then I looked at it, and the verse was there. I'm like, God, are you telling me something? And so I got that. And I'm like, okay, all right. And then it just kept rising up in my spirit, you know. Go check this out. And then our, you know, Bishop Butler is graduated from Rama, so I kind of knew. And I'm like, yeah, but I was scared to travel all the way to Oklahoma. And so, so I didn't have anything. So, you know, but kept rising up in my spirit. Long story short, I uh, decided to be obedient and go. And the first year that I got down there, I didn't even get to go to Rama. I was so heartbroken and disappointed. I didn't have the money. He got to go. But. We didn't get to go. I didn't get to go. I did get to go the next year, though. Mm. Barely. Yeah. I don't even know how I made it through Rama, but did. So, <laughs> when, okay, let me ask you this. When you were at Rama, was gambling still there? I, 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 I didn't gamble at all at Rama. But we showed plays with spades. <laughs> we did play some spades. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I wowed out a little bit while I was at Rama. And so, but. Yeah, no. Uh, Is that where you met Esther? I met Esther before I went to Rama, but she had went to ORU because um, she's a couple years older than I am. So she she went down there, and then yeah, when I actually crazy story, I called um, Fabian. He he didn't even realize who I was, but because he had gave me his number when we were in Word of Faith, he said, "Hey man, I'm you know I'm in Oklahoma. Call me if you ever need anything." Blah 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 blah. I'm like, okay, and. Um, <clears throat> So I called him, and I guess he was trying to figure out who I was while we was at the party. I was on my way down because I was going to uh, help with a fashion show, or I, I think it was a fashion show, because he ended up going with me at some point in time. But I called him, and he was trying to figure out who I was, and I guess Esther remembered me for some reason. I don't know, but she did. And so me and Esther talked for a long time on the phone, and so that was kind of how it happened. Okay. He was a little chaser. That's what I he was. Did, uh, so, so you weren't a player like Andre? No, that's not that's not the case. <laughs> um, no, we don't. <laughs> that's not the case. I ain't trying to get you in trouble. We'll just we'll just we'll just say this: the old man is harder to kill than what we think, and you have yeah. to keep him buried every day. Yeah. Yeah, uh, now I'll, I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what about you, Andre? What what made you want to go to Raymond? Man, um, 
always knew that it was something about me um, being different. Yeah, you different. <laughs> yeah, be it, that's true. Um, being different. Um, I remember being um, in high school going to um, church camp. Man, our church camps used, I mean, was off the chains. We had some of the, just picture um, churches from Michigan, from Arizona, from Texas, from Keith Butler have churches all over the world, mm-hmm. and we all get together and we take over a university and have camp at that university. So wow. yeah, it, I mean amazing, G5G. yeah, amazing, amazing. Um, how many? Experience. How many uh, students? Boy, over thousands. Wow, man. Awesome, man, boy, it's so funny because uh, we had this evangelist, and every mm-hmm. time she came up, it was Evangelist K. Mm-hmm. But I remember Evangelist K used to come up and she just passed away too, I believe. But Evangelist K used to come up Thursday nights at camp and she said, All right. She was like, um, she stopped the message. She said, All right, Holy Spirit's telling me all these kids that say been in here smoking mm-hmm. weed, come down front. She was like, um, and like kids to just get up and some kids are being um still sitting down. She was like, All right. She was like, if I have to come grab you from the um, seat and bring you up here to get your life right, then that's what we are going to do. And I went up there because I was hanging around with some of the wrong people. I always used to hang out with guys older than me because whenever I was in high school, my brother, he was one of the biggest running backs that was in school. Mm. And so they called him Batman. And so whenever I got in school, they called me Little Batman. And... So I remember hanging out with them. And so I started um, going down the wrong road, you know, because these are some, you know, some of the things that my brother's boys used to do. And I remember going up there from camp and man, I, I said, all right, Lord, I'm going, I'm just going, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to do what you want me to do. And this was my senior year um, after I graduated at camp. And I, I was trying to figure out what I'm going to do in my head. I'm thinking I'm going to the University of Alabama. I'm going there and I'm turning up. I'm going to every last Kappa party, sorority party, like anything that's out there, I'm going to turn up. And whenever she laid hands on me, my old um, minister, me, um, youth pastor was Rose Goodfriend, Minister Erica. Mm-hmm. And they all um, had some part of Rhema um, that they went to. And I remember she showed me on the computer about Rhema and stuff and Whenever I was up there and she was praying with me, Rhema popped up in my head. Mm. I'm saying, Rhema. And so I just took that step. I told my mom I applied for the, to go to Rhema, and I got accepted, and I just went there. My mom packed me all up um, on a Greyhound bus, and we went down to um, Oklahoma. No money, no nothing. All the money that I had is all the money that I saved up working at the car wash. Um, and my church gave me 500 bucks to go. But it was, man, it was nice that I used to run, go to my room and I'd cry on my pillow because they told me, Andre, if you don't have the money, mm-hmm. some of the money, we going to have to kick you out of school. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I remember those. Yeah. it Man, it was tough going to Bible school. We didn't, 
Yeah, we shared a room. Yeah, a room. Is, is that how y'all met? Was over there at Raymond? Yeah. yeah so, a- <laughs> um, I moved to my mom dropped me off. Uh, we were so Raymond has a little dashboard once you go in there, and it has um like jobs and it has um places to places live. to live. <clears throat> and so my mom found this one, and I'm all like, my mom know these people. And she was like, "Just try it out. And you you can own you you can live there for six months. You can find your own thing and you can move on." So I wound up staying there. Minister Erica called me saying, "Hey, I got a buddy coming down and he don't have a place to stay. Is it cool?" I said, "Yeah, tell him to come on." We stayed in the little room, probably a not smaller, even, not, not even. Not even <laughs> I was gonna say about the same size as this, but no, not even close. Not even close to yeah, maybe half this way. Like yeah, it was time. and. Me and Ro just got real close, man. Um, Ro came in with three black trash bags. Full trash of bags. That <laughs> full was of all I had. Full of clothes. And I had one little suitcase that I had um, that I packed up. And, man, we, we made it work. I had a, a little Nextel phone mm-hmm. with prepaid minutes on there. And I remember um, me and Ro took times calling our family whenever we could. You know, where the next meal was going to come from, we didn't know. They had something that was called the Iron Bank. And I remember, um, and they had Lake Skate. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, boy. Man, we used to get all fresh in our tall tees, our, our Air Force Ones on, mm-hmm. our little fitted on and stuff. And we used to go there at the Iron Bank and stuff and eat the crackers and stuff that they had. Because that's all that we had for dinner going to Raymond. Mm-hmm. Until I got a job in a restaurant, started bringing food home. <laughs> it was like a miracle. Boy, yes. Where'd you work at? Uh, I worked at Camille's for a while, and then I worked at Cheddar's and then Texas Roadhouse. Mm-hmm. So now um, I started working at Texas Roadhouse. We were eating good, yeah. boy. <laughs> Whoop, mess up order. Thank you. <laughs> you know, um, but those were, I mean, that was probably the most informative time. And you don't realize how mm-hmm. much is in you. And then you get this freedom. Um, you, you get kind of and your 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 freedom to go and do, and but you have this responsibility, and then you you want to live right, but you ain't never really lived right. Yes. And so most people don't understand because they they go, well, I've seen this from my dad or my mom. But then you get hard on yourself because you get this condemnation because you go, I know better, but where do I, I? I didn't do better. And then you start to feel like a fraud mm-hmm. and you go, well, we we're as Christians, I feel like we're real good with the lost, but not real good with the found. We're real good with outreaching and reaching those and going, hey, bring your sins and, and we forgive you. And yes, we rejoice that you're new. But when you're a believer and you make a mistake, it's not the same. We You're wounded. So the shark circle and instead of helping you and loving you and restoring you, what we do is we, we eat our own. We start to we start to chew and go, well, you're a believer. You know better. You should have self-control. You're supposed to have the fruit of spirit. You're supposed to do this. You're this. You're that. And and you do that to yourself as well. And you feel like the love of God is, is something that belongs to other people. And, and he died for your sins once you confess them. But after that, now you have to pay penance for your sins. Now you have to pay for your sins as if his blood didn't cover it. So you feel that weight. And then you feel like uh, the body c- c- um, 
comes across that way towards you. So we're, we're not real good at restoring. We're real good at um, um, kicking you to the side, uh, ostracizing you, um, and going, this is you now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think of the story about Jesus with the thief on the cross. He didn't ask him, how many days ago did you sin? What did you do to get yourself in this position? How could you have done something better? What could you have done? He didn't ask all of that. He just said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Your sins are forgiven. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And, and we, I feel like we get to a point where we think that we have to work and we have to earn um, forgiveness back mm-hmm. from God and forgiveness back from people. We and Instead of going, well, God forgives me right then and there. He says, it, it doesn't matter if you went out and, and you murdered somebody, but if you repented truly in your heart, he says, it's over and done with. I don't deal with it anymore. Now, yeah, there's sometimes consequences, right? There's some things that go with it, but... He says, I forgive you. I love you. The only thing I know is I want you to come home. I think of the story about the prodigal son. He ran up and said, let me put a robe on you. Let me put a ring on you. He didn't say, son, what did you do? How did you get yourself in this mess? Now, let's let's talk about the 21 steps to get out. He just says, I love you. And I just I'm glad my son returned home. Yeah. And I think that's one of the probably the the, the if I could say biggest messages from from my life is is every day I I, I work on forgiving myself because every day I'm, I I sin, right? We, we call it a mistake, but let's just go, I sin. I miss the mark of God. I transgress, right? Sometimes I know it's wrong and I still do it, right? Mm-hmm. And we do those things, and, but if we allow those things to stop us, then we'll never accomplish the, the mission of God. You fight through those things to get to where you need to be. But we we weigh and we judge sin, right? We weigh and judge it and go, well, lying ain't quite as bad as theft. And then, you know, well, adultery is really bad and murders, woo, right? And, and then you start to, to weigh and then you start to get that guilt and that condemnation where Jesus, if, if we live by Jesus standard, nobody. He said, if you hate your brother without a cause, right? He says, you're guilty of murder. Mm-hmm. He says, yeah. because you hate him without a cause, you're guilty of murder. He says, if you look at a woman to lust after her, then you've committed adultery. His standards are so high, we could never reach him. But if we look at it as if we could never reach it and say, I won't even try, then you will never grow. But if we understand that we can never reach him without him, then we can. And I think that was probably the, the hard part for me while I was at Rama was going, you got all these PKs and third generations and you and I'm around all these people that I mean, you look like they ain't never committed a sin a day in their life. And, that, and that's a lie for the pig. <laughs> that, right. But but that's what it feels like. Yeah. And then you got uh, m- me and Andre, and we over here, the heathen boys. You, <laughs> and, and, and you can't even say, look, man, I'm struggling. Help yeah. me. Because they're like, well, you know better. I'm going to tell you, you you need this, this, and this, and just don't do it. Mm-hmm. Like, if it was that easy, don't you think it would just be done? Like, I mean, if, if you could save yourself, wouldn't you have done it already? If the thinking you had that caused the problem, could get you out of the problem, you would have never had the problem. But there's some things that sometimes they're deep-rooted and sometimes you don't even know how to get out. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just don't even know that it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, you know, those are probably some of the, the things that uh, plagues the church, mm. plagues the body, plagues 
um, each and every one of us. And then we don't use the ministry of reconciliation. We don't go restore. Um, we, we don't go back and fix what is broken and build each other up and say, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to carry you through this. You, you may not make it, but I'm your brother. It doesn't matter what you did to me. It does not matter how our relationship was broken. It does not matter. I am going to see re restoration puts you back into place before you ever sin. It's not a lower place, but it puts you back as if sin never existed in the relationship. And we don't do that. We go, you sinned against me. I remember that. Yeah. You hurt me. I remember you stole from me. So now you're labeled a thief in my mind for forever. Mm. We don't really forgive. Or you know what? You committed adultery. So you know what? You're an adulterer. Or, or you know what? You, you committed murder. You're a murderer. Right? We never fully reached that point. And, and I think that hurts as, as individuals, but it hurts the community as a whole where we're able to do something great because you always carry that shame and your head is low instead of being able to raise your head up. Mm -hmm. yeah. Man. Man. Mm -hmm. Pass the roll. Yeah. Pass the roll. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's some good stuff right there. Wow. Mm -hmm. Man. Um, you know, you uh, you met Jamie, you said, at it was camp session. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, so how long after that was it before you, you even got, well, let me, let me ask y'all both this yeah. because your spouses are white. Mm -hmm. Was that any kind of trouble for you? Just in the cooking department. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie. I ain't gonna lie. The cooking was rough in the beginning. Oh, um, man, I ain't gonna lie. And I hate to be kind of stereotypical, but man, it, the flavors and the seasoning was lacking. That's, I mean, that was probably the biggest thing. Was the first time she boiled chicken. I was like, what is going on? Uh, like that ain't cooked. <laughs> I don't know what that is. You know, that was probably the the biggest um, issue, I guess. It, yeah, that, I mean, that was the biggest issue. I mean, there, there's cultural differences, yeah. but but yeah. far as issue, that was probably the biggest one. Hmm. I feel like that my wife was more of my healer, mm -hmm. and why I say that she was more of my healer because she brought more of light to my life. Let me know that. Um, there's more to life, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, because just growing mm -hmm. up in a black household, you just you stuck. Well, not all black households, but yeah. But just growing up the way that I grew up, you know, I just felt like that I was stuck. And um, I like when I first moved here to Seminole, um, I just thought, okay, I could get me a job at Walmart, or I could get me a job at um at the city of Seminole, and there's nothing wrong with those jobs. And I and I told her I, I would ju be just fine, and she was like, "Andre, God um, wants more for your life," mm -hmm. and so like that's what you know a more of a healer that she was because she got me out of that poverty mentality mm -hmm. that I had, and she's continue continually helping me get out of that, helping me on my speech and on my grammar, mm -hmm. you know, because growing up. It's crazy because Ro has proper English. <laughs> Shut up. No, I, I have proper slash hood and Birmingham English. So I have Southern and Northerner. When you mix all of that, 
that English is not proper. <laughs> so she's helping me on my grammar. Like she's like the Lord sent her my way to help my help with my mindset mm-hmm. on a lot of things. So I say like she has been a big blessing for my life. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely would say that. My wife is, I would say, my redeemer. If, if I could use one word for her, is bought me back. You know, a um, lot of things where I don't know if I would ever grown, ever progress um, yes. without her um, to change my mindset, but to be loving and kind and patient mm-hmm. through all of my uh, flaws, all of my stupidity, and just loving me and, and believing that I could change, that I would change, that mm-hmm. it may not be today, but tomorrow, tomorrow. And, and, and just, I would say that's how God looks at us. That's why he's so merciful. And he doesn't take us out like that. It's because he goes, I love them. And I know that they, 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 until they have no more breath, they can change. And that's how that's she good. is um, to me. And, and you know, we get to grow together, laugh. And, and I'll say the first couple of years were rough. Um, but every day gets better and better. And the more I learn, uh, she's taught me to, to, um, to guard myself more, um, taught me that, you know what, that's probably not a good relationship right there. Mm-hmm. That's probably, um, you know what, yeah, you know, that's probably, you, you probably don't need to be talking to her because you can get caught up into some mess or, or, you know, you can catch feelings over here or, uh, this right here is not proper. And because I never seen it, I'm like, ah, I can be friends with whoever I want. But, but what you, you start to realize is, the dangers there mm-hmm. and and she's like looking out for your best interest you think is jealousy which she would have every right but start to change your mindset yeah. so that when as you change your mindset you can teach proper to your children so my sons don't have to go through the drama i went through right and so i can model what a man is supposed to look like to my little girl so as you start to to get this shift and this twist because you have a mate that's helping you get into alignment so i would say that's probably i mean Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, that's some good stuff right there. Yeah, you better say that after you said your wife. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, she can cook now. <laughs> after about almost ten years, she can definitely. Yeah. But in the beginning, <laughs> she'll tell you it was rough. <laughs> okay, bro. Okay, calm it down. <laughs> Let's see if she watches this. <laughs> no, um, so why Seminole? Why move to Seminole? You're in Tulsa. You're from a big God city. God told me to move here. Simply put. Yeah. Yeah. Came to his wedding. God told me I was supposed to move here. A couple months later, we moved here. Mm. Same with you, I guess? Oh, um, shoot. No, it wasn't the same for me. <laughs> it was not the same for me. Um, Jamie said, hey, won't you come check out? Because I was still living with Ro. Mm-hmm. I was heading off to Camp Sunshine for the second year. And... Jamie said, come check out Texas. I'm thinking Dallas. I'm thinking, you you know. Yeah. But I always knew the way she talked. I knew it had to be something small. (laughs) But I got off the airport in um, in Midland. And, man, going to church. It was at night when she came and picked me up from the airport. Of course. That's the best way to get you here right at night time. And I went to sleep at my brother-in-law in in them house. And that that morning, we woke up and we went to church. Man, and in my head, I'm thinking, oh, no, sir. But right after that, I was thinking, what was next in my life? 
And once I came here and visit, Brandon and Amy Price told me, um, and I didn't never met these people, never seen them a day in my life, and they offered me a job. And I just know, I said, okay, I'm about to give it a shot. And did I, can I tell you it was all glory? Oh, no, it was not all glory. I mean, I probably rebuked my wife probably like every single day <laughs> because, <laughs> Well, man, you know, growing, growing up. Yeah. And of, co of course, just with uh, blacks. Yeah. And I don't know if you had Mexicans there or Yes, I did. Nah, I didn't have no. There wasn't no Mexican to Detroit I for real. I had him in Alabama. And then coming to a community mm -hmm. like Seminole. When I came to Seminole and I seen the Spanish community as big as it is and as prosper, it made me happy. Hmm. Because just coming from Detroit, you didn't see that many. There were some yeah. kind of down by the river. They had their own community yeah, over there. Yeah. And. Um, down in Alabama, yeah, I went to school with um, a good bit of them, played football with a good bit of them, but um, they had their own community, well, not own community, but they had a certain area that they waited right there on the corner for work every single day. And so a part of my heart always felt like, man, you know, like why they can't be like other people, you know, why, why they can't get the jobs like other people. Mm. And just to come down here and I see the success still to this day, like, I love it. I love it, you know, because it's, it's like the brown community is doing something. So it's like, <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. You know, it was definitely a big culture shock. Yeah, yeah. A big culture shock. What about but, for you? Same? Uh, yeah, pretty much the same. I, I guess I didn't, I didn't notice that as much. Uh, when I looked up the statistics before I moved here and I noticed that it was 1% black, I was like, 1%? Like, I mean, like, so when I move here, we're going to be 2%? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, cool. Um, but all I knew was, if this is where you want me, God, then this is where I'll be. I didn't know how it was going to happen because when I car had broke down before I moved out here. So I moved out here without a car and I was just walking everywhere. And then uh, Johnny Powers, you know, when Esther moved down here, seeing her walking, he was like, what are you doing? And he rented, he uh, not rented, he loaned us his van for a good long time. But I just knew that um, it was different. When I first came here, um, had a bunch of people ask me, are you from Seagraves? Are you from Seagraves? I had to ask Andre. I was like, why are they asking me to see Grays, bro? I'm like, so suspect. I don't know what's going on, right? And uh, he's like, nah, that's Sea Grays. That's the city over here. I was like, oh, I was like, why? Is there a lot of black people that live yeah. there? Because I ain't seen, because I mean, I hadn't seen anybody yeah. black besides yeah. Andre. I mean, like, when I say nobody, I ain't seen nobody that was black. And that wasn't something that bothered me. Um, I just realized that. It's going to be different. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a little different. But if I hadn't spent that time in Tulsa, I don't know if I would have been able to cope yes. with all the different um, cultures. Yeah. You know, in the German community, I mean, for a while there, the kids were just staring at me at Walmart. And it was like creepy stares. Like, you're just staring. But what I realized is it's just a culture shock. It it's is. different. 
Yeah. And and I if I was I just didn't understand in the beginning, but it was just a culture. It's just different cultures. It's like when you know when I see somebody riding a horse, that's normal. But when I my family first came down here, they're like they riding a horse on the side <laughs> of the road. I'm like, yeah, that's normal. I, I don't even think about it anymore. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They got horses. There's cows right over here. Yeah, yep, yep. Old pump jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're good. Or carrying <laughs> caskets or the John Deere tractor. Nah, I have not seen that. Not <laughs> now that yeah. that would throw me off. And that's still, <laughs> now not they now that. they do that, you know, hardcore. I, I I have not seen that, but there, there are some differences that that you start to grow and you start to see and you start to notice and. Um, but I love variety. Mm. So, and everybody was been so warm and embracing. I mean, I've had some instances of, where things were not as warm and friendly, but it's mostly because you're an outsider. Mm-hmm. And once people get to know you, then it's no big deal. Yeah. Have you guys ever dealt with any kind of racism growing up? Um. Yeah, it's like where to begin? <laughs> Corner but- store. Um, in Detroit, you know, you go into the corner store and, and you have the uh, Arab community mm-hmm. that owns a lot of them and they follow you around the Which store. Which is more or in the urban Yeah, and, 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 you know, and they say, hurry up and buy. Right? Are you buying or get out? Mm-hmm. You know? And they're watching you. and But for good reason. Because a lot of people still in Detroit. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. But when you don't understand it, you're just like, well, I'm not going to steal anything from you. Now, granted, we've all been there. Like, like I said, I was trying to steal at an early age. So I do understand it. I would say that when I first moved to Seminole, um, me and Esther were driving and they pulled Esther out of the car to make sure that she was OK. This is normally how I dress most of the time. Yeah, yeah. What am I doing? Kidnapping somebody like that? <laughs> what's, what's going on? Right? Like I'm holding her hostage in the front seat. Right. Yeah. Probably not. But to make sure she was okay. And you know what? I'd rather that than me be a kidnapper and something would have happened. Right? So I, so I do, did. But they asked her like four times, are you sure you're okay? Blink if you're not okay. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had, I was pulled over and cops wanted to search the vehicle. I let them search it, you know, cause it was going to be a big deal and let them search it because they asked me where I was coming from so late. Are you supposed to be out so late? And, um, the partner was cool, but the main guy was not. And it, it just, I complied and just went on and, um, you experienced some of that. When I was at Texas Roadhouse, I had a lady ask me if I had a noose in my back pocket, like, you know, ignorant things like yeah. that. And, and I'm waiting there table. I'm like, and my personality, I'm like, no, do you? <laughs> like, do you, I mean, who just carries one around? Like, and just laughed it off. It didn't hurt. I just sometimes I go, God, they're ignorance. Forgive them for their ignorance. You know, um, I've had some some things that have been said that have been, you just, I go, it doesn't matter. It's just ignorance. Just shake it off. No big deal. I don't, I mean, does it, does it exist in the world? Yeah. Does it happen? Yeah. You know, I had a lot of it too. Um, instances we just being in Columbus, Georgia, and being a Seminole, same thing happened. But let's just say the Seminole. So everybody's dream is to have a big house one day. And so what I love to do, um, especially still to this day, is to leave Hobbs and drive up on the hill, the same place everybody calls Snob Hill. Oh yeah, and 
Um, this is when I had my charger windows all tinted out, which I got from Casey Powers. <laughs> <laughs> got the charger from Casey Powers, but I just put, um, and they already had the dark windows. I just put 22 inch rims on there. And so I'm parked up, um, um, up there where um, Dr. Parkey and them live up uh, live at, just looking at all them big houses and stuff up there. And so you have a cop that just zoomed right past me, hit the roundabout, and parked right in front of me. And I'm saying, I said, yes, sir, can I help you? And he said, um, yeah, we just, we got a call um, um, about some break-ins that's been happening in this area. I said, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> And then he said, um, well, your car kind of meets the uh, prescription, I mean, the description of um, the break-ins. And he was like, and, it, and they said it was um, four black males that was breaking in. That, that's what they say. Wow, that time. was all the black people in Seminole. Yeah, he said that it was four <laughs> black males that was breaking into um, into houses um, around here. And I said, and I rolled down all my windows. I said, well, sir, there's a car seat right here and there's a car seat right here. We can't steal nothing in this car, sir. <laughs> and then he was like, well, can I, um, he was like, I understand, sir. What well, can I still see your license and registration? So when you can't get nothing on me because of that, you still want to run my tags and run my license to try to see if you can find something to have an excuse to lock me up. That's wrong. Yeah. And same instance, uh, we in Columbus, Georgia, um, I'm, me and Jamie, we off that day, and we went to. We had to get something for the uh, for our car that we had while we were in Georgia. And I'm in the parts store, and I'm walking up to the counter, and there's an older uh, white gentleman that's standing right there. That he doesn't work in. I guess he's a familiar customer that always come in. And I'm walking up, and I say, "Hey, sir, do y'all have this part?" And the guys start laughing, and I'm looking at him, and he was like. Man, everything, he said, everything looks good from your shoulders and below. Like, what is that supposed to mean? I said, I said, what are you trying to say? He was like, that dark skin of yours. Oh, man. So I started laughing, and, they, and the guys behind the counter said, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. And I went out to um, tell Jamie. I said, babe, this is some of the stuff that, um, that I have to deal with. And I told her, and she was like, what guy, what guy? It really didn't hit my wife until we just went to Columbus. I mean, we went to Oklahoma City. Like, um, like Jamie understood everything that I went through, but just to actually, it hit her in her face, I want to say. But we sitting on the couch with my buddy John um, in Oklahoma City, and he's telling us the story um, that they just moved into a night, because he's a worship pastor in Oklahoma City, they moved into a really nice area, really nice gated area in Oklahoma City. And um, he went out going to get snacks and stuff, you know, movie night with the family. And so he's the last one in the house. All They were already in the house. And once he sat in the house and they got the movie and stuff playing, playing they hear boom, 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 boom on the front door. They're like, what's going on? They just moved into this area. And um, he opened up the front door. Oh, you know, normal black person gonna say, "Who is it?" Mm -hmm. And so they said, um, "They said Oklahoma City, no, because he's staying um, um, Admin or Edmonton, one Admin, I think. yeah, Admin Oklahoma." They said, "They said Admin Police Department." 
And so he hurried up and opened up the door. And he said they got shotguns and everything pointed right at his face. Everybody at the car and stuff with their gun and stuff pointing. Saying that they, um, somebody called the police saying that they heard a gunshot from that house. What is that supposed to mean? I got another buddy, good friend of mine too, um, Steve Jameson. Mm-hmm. Um, and live in Oklahoma City too. Um, if the statistics, you really don't see that many black people working in the oil field. You just don't. Because black people don't want to be around at work. You in the, you in the hot heat. You you know, they don't want to be around that. And oh. so um, he started working. He's working for One Oak in um, Oklahoma City. And he said when he first got out there, normally, you know, if you're a company man, you can run anybody off. But he he's first time out there. So he's getting out there on location to um, get the job and stuff sorted. The backhoe operator um, sitting out there opened up, you know, his hatch on his backhoe. Older white guy said, um, he was like, look, y'all, we got a nigger out here now. Hmm. Just going out there, like, it's just, you know, people, I yes, I have an experience, and I prayed I'd never experience more hands-on. But words are more hands-on to me, too. So it's still going on to this day. And it and it hurts, man. Yeah. I can sit here and say that it don't hurt. Because I was raised by my mom. And my mom, um, she always said, you are only what you respond to. Mm-hmm. And I lived that out. But when you have people that still have anger, and want to express these things to you, you can only brush it off so much. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, man. Dang. No, that. That's tough. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've never had to deal, deal with any of that. Um, I don't really know if any, like, other family ever had to deal with that. And, and it's just, it sucks that it's going on. For mm-hmm. sure, you know, I, it it hurts. And to hear that, to hear stuff that y'all, you know, you have to go through, it, it man, it should never be like that at no. all. But, but like, uh, I think you said it, like, you see, people say, no, I don't see color. I see hearts. But, no, no. No, it, just yeah. like you said, no, I, you see color. No, Never. you go to, you go to, you yeah, stick a I, white person up and go up to Detroit. Oh, you go see some color. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah. yeah, I get the fact, I get the point that everybody say, I don't see color, I see people equal. But at the end of the day, God sees color. God knew what he was doing when he created I, color. I, I think you want to see color and you want to equally value and appreciate the differences. Mm, it's like yeah. we talked about our favorite colors, right? I said different sides of the color spectrum and I like them for different reasons. And I think it's more so that way where you can value a different culture and you can uh, value a different type of people. It's like ha- um, Haiti and uh, Dominican Republican, they share an island, but they're totally different people. They can tell each other apart, even though they live in the same climate for sun and everything. Uh, they know the difference. And I think you can know the difference and appreciate the differences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. Um, got a couple some questions here I'd like to ask. 
Okay. What are your thoughts? And, and I don't know if you know who Candace Owen is mm-hmm. and uh, the Hodge twins. Mm-hmm. No, both. What are your thoughts or opinions on black conservative people like Candace Owen or the Hodge twins that the black community often criticize? You want to go first? Um, I just actually started listening to Candace a little bit. Um, I get some of her points. Yeah. And I agree on a lot of things that she is saying. And I just, that's where that black um, dividers come in. Because you have some black hurts. You you know, a lot of people um, that I was watching her speak, you know, speak to, they are speaking in hurt. Mm-hmm. And she's speaking in, in, um, facts. in, in facts. Mm-hmm. You know, and so when you get hurt and facts mixed up, then, you know, there's never going to be um, a balance in it. So um, I agree on some of the things that she's saying and some of the things she has to realize that, okay, if you haven't walked that mile, then, you know, it's kind of hard to speak about it. Um, I'll say I'll say this is. Most of the time, what people will say is, well, you're an Uncle Tom, you're this or you're that. Yeah. Um, We take our own experiences and we try to make them law versus looking at the facts, statistics, right? Looking at actually what does when you're so when you're talking in a corporate, then you have to look at the facts. I can Mm -hmm. because each individual experience is going to be different. Now, if we're talking about an anecdotal experience, you had an experience, I had an experience. But when we look at facts, we have to judge those facts. And most of the time, people don't want to judge the facts. They want to judge by emotion. So and when you're talking to people that are of lower education, and when I say that, Mm -hmm. I don't mean college education, but they don't read books, they haven't educated themselves on a subject, then the only thing they have is raw emotion about something. And that raw Mm -hmm. emotion, um, your your, your feelings will lie to you. Mm -hmm. Your emotions, you will make something that's not. You will take something and uh, make something like racist. I can say uh, something to the extent of I thought all Mexicans like sour cream or salsa. And you'll go, oh, he's a racist. Well, that doesn't mean that it's racist. It's racial and it may be a stereotype, but that doesn't mean that it's racist. Yeah. And I think we, we take to a point where we, we want to find something where it's not. So we will, as a community, black people actually used to be, actually black people are still more conservative than they are liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you'll find that things like uh, gay marriage, uh, black people have a stance on it and has had a stance more so against it than for it. the more conservative, the nuclear family. Um, you, you find those things to be true. But what happens is most black people are afraid of being ostracized by speaking up. Yeah. So what you find is even in our celebrities like Denzel Washington, he's been married to his wife for forever. And we applaud those things and we're happy about those things. So which means that we receive them well. And that's a part of our belief system. But in the same token, it is more popular or louder to say, hey, man, um, get 17 girls, you know, be like this rapper here. But what you don't see is like Jay-Z may talk about flipping bricks and this and that, but he don't flip bricks. Right. So we glorify the most negative of our culture, of our people. We don't say, hey, man, I'm glad you're a lawyer. You're a doctor. I'm glad you're doing something with your life. We say, hey, man, you made it out. So help the homie out. 
right? Now it's your responsibility mm-hmm. to not teach me, but feed me. And, and that mentality didn't come in until after the 1960s. So that was a mentality that happened when uh, welfare was instituted in order to get the the nuclear family to break down where um, black people actually had the lowest divorce rate. And then you have people that moved away from that. So when black conservatives say stuff like that, it's like, but that's not my reality. It's like, well, but that's the truth. And this is the facts. But that's not what I live today. You don't know my life, my feelings, feelings over facts. And um, that's a dangerous place to get into. Um, and then I also think people are trying to be like Candace Owen, the Hodge twins, and you have, um, some, some of the others. And what they do is try to be a counterbalance for, uh, on the political side, mm-hmm. more so, uh, just the political to, to the imbalance that's the impropriety that's over on the liberal side of things. And so now you're, you're also working extra hard to try to give a different viewpoint and opinion because this one is so known and well-known and, and popular. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good. What are your thoughts when people make it a political debate? Um, I try not to get into it. I don't like, you know, when people debate about political wise or religion. You know, I, I try not to get in the middle of none of that because I don't know too much of it. Yeah. So I try not to get in the middle of it to have try to have a point about it. So. And I'm on the opposite end, I guess, is I, I like to see that um, because I, I do think as we look at, um, I think religion and politics go like this and everybody wants to separate them, but they do go like this because you look at the the uh, book of Judges, you look at Joshua, you look at Kings, you look at Chronicles, and it talks about the rulers, and it talks about how this king made the people to sin, or this one made them to righteousness, and it talks about how um, those things happen in the Bible. So now, if you're talking about more so politicizing uh, ethnicity and racism and things like that, I think I think every four years, in my opinion, you you start to see this race thing come up and it becomes important and it becomes a, a tool mm. to, 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 hey, vote for me. On the left and the right, where it becomes a tool, vote for me, vote for me. And it's some of the issues that I, I that I see is, is I go, well, you can fix um, on a on a level, you don't need it fixed on a federal level because that's always when we want to talk about it is on a federal level. I don't see you doing it on a local level where you can fix your own community. Maybe you can't fix um, racism in in, uh, in in Kentucky, but if you're the the governor of Texas or Massachusetts or whatever, you can fix it there. That's your domain and and your region mm-hmm. of responsibility. So take the bull by the horn and fix it now and then you can take it and go, hey, you know what? I need federal aid or federal funding or I need it at a higher level Then I'm going to petition to get that done. Versus when I think most people, what they do is they don't know who their... Um, who their, who their mayor is, who's their local governing, uh, who their state senators are. They, they don't know who their, who's their state representatives are. Um, and they also don't go vote on, on different bills. They don't know what's coming up on the docket. So when they do, what they're doing is uh, just they're regurgitating popular talking points that yes. validate their emotions versus looking at the actual facts. Some good stuff right there. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. 
What what do you uh, respond or thoughts when people bring up black on black crime? <laughs> Depends on when they bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be. I'm just gonna be honest. Depends on when they bring it you up. You know because. You think of it now, with all the racism, everything that's going on, mm-hmm. you know, George Floyd, and you mm-hmm. have, I don't know if you've heard about the hangings now, there's hangings in California, here mm-hmm. in Texas, you know, people say, okay, black lives matter. Mm-hmm. And there's like, well, if, if black lives matter, why is there black on black crime? Uh, I'll, I'll say this. I think that, um, one, let's, let's start with facts and statistics. Like, let's go with police brutality first. Um, last year in 2019, I believe it was nine black men in the U.S. that were unarmed were um, were victims of police brutality. Nine. There's 350 million Americans. That's not. I'm not saying that that's not a problem, but when it ranks on my problem scale, it doesn't rank. Uh, I'm not saying police brutality is not a problem, but when we're talking about unarmed. Um, then I go, you have a couple bad apples. I can't say the whole system is broken. When I look at the statistics from the Department of Justice, when I look at the FBI statistics, now when we go white, I believe it was uh, 17 or 12, somewhere in there, where it's a very small sliver, um, but we, we're, we're, we're seeing it. Um, so I don't think it's this overarching problem. But when we, when we start to look at um, sentencing, I do think there is a larger discrepancy between um, uh, minorities being sentenced for longer yes. versus not, and I, that's a but that's not a law enforcement problem. That's a judicial problem of having judges. I think um, when people bring up black on black crime, it is the largest problem. Like white on white crime, you you kill the people that's around, right? Most people aren't. Uh, I'm not going to drive 14 hours to go break in somebody's house. It's probably not going to happen. So what's more likely going to happen is I'm going to do it around the people that I'm around. That's normally how it works. But I don't think that negates when you're having a conversation about something else. So if I say, hey, man, um, you know, your your, your shirt is uh, terrible today. I don't think you need to go, well, let, well what, what about my pants? Well, we're, 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 we're having a conversation about your shirt, so why are we changing topics? So I do think we, we have to deal in the facts, but we also have to um, we, we have to deal with the situation at hand and address it. I do think that um, there's more police brutality that does go on than what's that's shown on the statistic, but I don't think it's a thousand times or a hundred thousand times more than what the statistics show. Right. And then you got to think about... Um when they say black on black crime too, majority of black on black crime is done in a big major city. Mm-hmm. And when you have nothing but your own race that's there, who else can you kill? I'm not justifying it, but only person that you could kill is your brother that's right in front of you. Mm-hmm. And so like the, this is things that's been going on for years, you know? Since the beginning of time. Yeah. And But the, my thing is like, why label it? Black on black crime. Like why? Uh, why can't it just be crime? Um, because um, looking at the um, um, Netflix thing that um, you were talking about, um, black folk were labeled as gangsters, mm-hmm. and so and that's that's still to this day. Yeah, you know um, when you look at a rap video, um, 
first thing that somebody will say, man, turn that gangster music down. You know, like is, you know, it's already pre-labeled. Mm-hmm. You know, so like yeah, which we've kind of helped perpetuate because oh yes, you, all you, day long. You, you, when you don't help help yourself, a, a good, good example is um, so it's labeled that way because we go well. That's white on black crime. If we just say this is crime, this is murder. Exactly. If we remove those labels as a whole, then that's what you do. But when you want to. Um, push a narrative that's what you do when uh, it's like if i say i was bit by a snake do i need to say that it was a green or purple snake i don't care i was bit by a snake right now if you need description so that you can tell me was it a rattlesnake because you need to give anti-venom so i can solve this now um if I'm describing who broke into my house, I may say he was a white male, six foot four, weighing 496 pounds ish. You know, I'm going to describe he was wearing this shirt. I'm going to give as much detail. Uh, now, if I'm trying not to be racist, then I would describe everything but his race. Uh, he was kind of tall and like, okay, like, was it Shaq who broke into your house? <laughs> I mean, you, you as you start to, but when it's a matter of the heart, um, the labels is a way to cover it or to not sound racist sometimes. Then either side of the argument mm-hmm. is what you're really trying to do is perpetuate the stereotype. Yeah. You're trying to push your own agenda and narrative and make it fit this story. Mm-hmm. No, that's good, man. I, I, I liked how you explained all that. that. That's perfect. That's awesome. You know, and, and you even brought it up too about... Um, Black people are labeled as thugs mm-hmm. and criminals. Mm-hmm. How do you raise your kids? How do I don't know word this? To make sure like they, they're not labeling, let's say, a Mexican kid is, oh, his dad's probably a drug dealer his, mm-hmm. or yeah, a drunk or, you know, drugs, you know, something. Like, mm-hmm. how do you train and raise your kids the, the right way? Oh, man, I really believe that is understanding culture, you know, presenting mm-hmm. your kids around different cultures. And, you know, because if they don't get it from you, they go get it in school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, stereotyping is going to be around all, you know, for the mm-hmm. rest of our life, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really just believe that culture is culture is the key, you know, like inviting not just only one race over to your house, inviting all like, man, if you go come over to my house, everybody coming over to the house, you know, and that's what I believe, you know, that's going to open up our kids' eyes and just saying, man, mommy and daddy used to have black, white, Spanish, Puerto Rican all over to the house that, you know, and there was no shame in their game. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just all black. Like, I'm thankful my mom took us out of um, Detroit. Mm -hmm. You know, because I wouldn't know no other race. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, now, you know, if I if I had a party at the house, I want everybody to come over. Mm-hmm. It's not just a certain race or certain, you know, I have to have everybody over. I think along those lines, you expose them and you teach them and you show them culture. You, you teach people to, you to respect everybody, love them, but you know, for who they are. Mm-hmm. And, and also if you don't want to be labeled a gangster, right. Don't look like a gangster. And, and that does not mean what 
like back in the 1920s, they wore zoot suits mm -hmm. and they, so if you dress like this, then you're going to be associated. If I put a cowboy hat on and some boots with spurs and, and I put on some chaps and, and I, you're going to assume that about me, right? Those are the things that we all have our assumptions. Yeah. And, and so when you, when you do that, even the term of uh, a sheep or, or a wolf in sheep's clothing, when you're when you're wearing that clothing, that's what you're going to be treated like. Where you're going to be looked at immediately. It does not mean that it is true, but we can't there. And that does not mean you need to change who you are. Mm -hmm. But what I mean is, if for for let's just say this stereotype. Let's go with this stereotype. I see a um a Arab man. He has a turban on. He has his traditional garb on. He has a backpack. We're getting ready to get on a plane. He throws his backpack down in the seat and runs off. What's the first thing that comes into your mind? Right? I'll tell you what comes into my mind, right? First thing I might go, did that dude just throw a bomb? <laughs> right? Because of 9-11. Because yeah. of that. What if he realized, I forgot my kid. I forgot this. You don't know this situation. But we look at it from that standpoint and that point of view because of what we've been exposed to. Yes. So even when you're looking, but it is our job, we can't change immediate perception per se, but it's our job to go find out more, right? It's not to judge because prejudice is going to be in each and every one of us. You have a preference. You might like redheads with, with green eyes. I don't know what color your wife's eyes is, but you, you <laughs> know, right? Uh, um, but you're going to have a preference. And you're going to judge before you know. You can judge somebody before you know, but now it's your responsibility to go find out more about them. To see if your initial judgments was true. It's like when you have a first um, take review of tech and then you use it for a period of time and your, your uh, point of view may have changed. And I think when you teach your kids that, it's okay to have an immediate thought, but not to let that be the thing that defines them. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's what I was telling Jamie um, the other day. I said, man, babe, what if our first reaction with people was love? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Instead of like, just like, oh, man, Roe can be this kind of person. Or, mm -hmm. you know, if our first response was, man, was love. Getting to know this person without a prejudgment. Mm -hmm. I, I would love that if we could ever get that way. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we can. Uh, I think about the story about Peter when he separated himself from the Gentiles because of, of the fear of what the Jews would say. And he had just preached and got thousands of people saved. He walked with Jesus. And I go, I don't know if I can do better than that. Mm -hmm. Right. I didn't walk with Jesus in that regard. I didn't preach and get thousands. I don't know if if that's something that I can arrive to to that point. But I know that I cannot may not be able to change my first thought. But I can capture that second. Yeah. Yes. Man, that's good. Now you're talking about Jesus. Do you believe that this situation we're in now is dividing the church? 100%. Yes. 100%. Yes. Explain. Um, so I think what, what you, you're saying to some regard is white guilt is what they're calling it. Yeah. And then you're, you're starting to see a black... Um, more pushing that the without the facts and without pushing Christ that we're, we're so 
um, focused on how we've been done wrong and not so much on healing and what Jesus came to do with his mission. I feel like uh, you have a lot of white people that are like, um, I didn't do anything. Why am I being blamed with this? And why do I have responsibility? And then you also have a lot of black people that are starting to go, well, I didn't see you put the black square up. I didn't see you do and watching and go, wait, wait. I remember this one time you said, what did you mean by that? Or you posted mm -hmm. and you called that guy a monkey. You, you must not like black people. Maybe he just meant that one guy is a monkey. Or I think you're seeing that in the church and you're seeing the, the post of all lives matter and black lives matter. And you're starting to see this divide of, of people getting away from Jesus being the center. And Jesus, I'm not saying that this is not an issue, but going Jesus solves the problem versus going um, as a man going, you need to pay penance for all white people. You can't you can't be the spokesperson for all white people. You weren't elected to yeah. be the spokesperson for all white people. I'm not elected to be the spokesperson for all black people. The only thing I can do is take personal responsibility yeah. for my actions and my household and then love people. And what I'm seeing is, is the church is so divided on the issue of that it's becoming almost um, the cancel culture is even being invited in the church like this this okay symbol that it's it, they're saying is white power which is not even the truth if you do the research it's not anywhere in there it's a host but what you see is the church is jumping kind of on the bandwagon if you will because they want to do the right thing right however not understanding that not you the church creates the culture not the culture creating a church. Mm. All, all you got to do is love people in your church. And when you see injustice, correct it. Yes. Stop anything else. Just when you see injustice, correct it. That's it. We don't, we don't, your, your, your job is not to go out there and to necessarily march and to do this. It's to vote according to the Bible, not according to anything else. It's, it's vote according to the Bible. Advocate change for the better. It's to love each other. You've never owned a slave. I've never been a slave. I, I, I There's people that went through uh, Jim Crow and the civil rights. I did not. It's to just love each other and to make sure that we're united and stop looking at social media for everybody's post and reading into everything. Because mm -hmm. I see that with the churches. And I see the members of churches and, and what they're posting. And I see pastors on a rant about how white people did me wrong this time, this time, that time. And, and, and how uh, I didn't know about my own white privilege and white guilt and, and, and feeling this, this, this pressure um, of guilt on one side. And then on the other side, this pressure to feel oppressed. I don't feel oppressed. I don't need to feel oppressed. I don't need anyone to tell me that I'm oppressed. Satan does enough of that, okay? I don't need someone else, and I don't need you to feel guilty for something you're you're not accountable for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, I think, you know, you touched every last bit of it, you know, because social media, and that, you know, that's what can cripple us to this day. You know, social media is doing, having a big part to deal, you know, do with the dividings, mm -hmm. you know, and, I just feel like everybody is trying to get their point out. And yes, you know, all the facts and everything is, is stated. Now, I just feel like um, you have to live up to it. Mm -hmm. It's not just, okay, we have a NIST press conference. We have a NIST one. 
man, live up, you know, mm-hmm. own up to it. You know, there there's hurt in cities that's out there. Mm-hmm. Let's live up to it. It's not okay. Let me just let me just confront the the problem and move on with it. You know, that's where divide is. You know, mm-hmm. and that's where they get so um, upset with the government. Mm-hmm. It's because you state all of these facts, and this is what black people are saying: you stating all of these facts, but you're not living up to it. Like, if it really is a problem, speaking up is let me get out there and fix the hurt. Mm-hmm. Fix it. Fix it. That, like, that's what the black community is saying. It's like, get out there and fix it. Don't just say, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry that you had to deal with this. Step up and fix it. That's what I think, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, the black community is seeing, okay, they saying all of this. They trying to help us. But you not, once this is, basically, this is all going to be sweeped underneath the rug. And it's going to be another day. And you go forget all about what the protest and everything was all about. That's where the dividers take place. Is they want to see actions. Be the change you want to see in the world. Yeah. It starts with one. Just be the mm-hmm. change. It's uh you know, the biggest problem facing the black community is fatherless homes. Oh yeah. That's mm-hmm. the biggest you, you want you you want to change you want to change the black community, but help keep the fathers in the home. Stay. Be a man. Mentors. Mentor. But be a man. Stay. Even if it's hard, stay. Be 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 that if you want to change. I, I would say that that more marriage conferences. More less hype, less stage design, less flash, more marriage counselors, more marriage conferences, more children's conferences, more Outreach more out into the community as a church. I don't care what the world is doing, but as a church, let's go out there and let's change this world. Mm-hmm. Let's go and be love, be Jesus, and go reach people. You're not perfect, but let's go reach in our imperfection and go. I have someone who is perfect, and if he can use me, he can use you. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm broken, I'm cracked, I got holes, I have everything like that. But if he can use me, because it's the living water in me that's going to go out there, then guess what? He can use anybody and go, you know what? That's what we need. We're going to go out there and unite it. I'm going to stand with you. I don't have to agree with you. We can disagree on issues, but... The military has this best, and the best I've ever seen it, is you have the branches, you have the Army, the Marines, the Navy, and guess what? They fight among each other as brothers, right? But when it comes wartime, battle time, they have each other's back. At the end of the day, I don't care if you're Catholic, Baptist, non-denominational, stop, stop the fighting. Stop. We can have our differences, but let's find where we agree. Let's address these issues head on as believers. I don't care if you vote you vote left, right, or center. Jesus is, is, is who we follow. So that's how you address it. As a church, you go love. Mm-hmm. Love covers a multitude of sin. And without yeah. that, there's nothing else. Man. Good stuff. Yeah, I think actions, actions, mm-hmm. man. I think that's, you know, that's what people are out there rioting, you know, about and, and, you know, like tearing up the cities, which I don't agree with. You know, there's a right way to do it. Okay, so but do you these, believe in the protesters? Yes, I do. Absolutely. I, I 
believe in the freedom to protest. Yes. I don't necessarily agree with what the protests are right now, but I do agree with the freedom to protest. Mm-hmm. 100%. The looting and the rioting is wrong. Yes. So how do you feel? And Kaepernick did this <clears throat> last year. or No, it was uh, two years. Two, years, two yeah. or three years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts on that when he did that? To tell you the truth, I was for him. You know, by him um, saluting during the national anthem. Oh, kneeling. Well, kneeling. Yeah, yeah, kneeling. My bad. Kneeling during it. To me, there's always a better way. But when is a better time? You know, like, I, you know, and people say, you know, there, there's a right time and there's a right time to do things. I agree with that. But when would people speak up? When would you hear something? You know, so... I agree. To me, I was I was all down with him because we're talking about an interracial guy. We're talking about a half black, half white guy Mm -hmm. and him speaking up in the community. And now people are saying, man, he he did the right thing now. Yeah. Now they're realizing. I okay. so I have uh, it's kind of complex for me. Um, I would agree with his right. I would not kneel during the national anthem. Um, because of honor to the country of, I feel like we are, we live in the greatest country on earth. Number one, number two, for as far as on the NFL level, um, I think that when, oh my God, why did I just forget? Tim Tebow did it. They ostracized him. They ostracized him. They called it Tim Tebow, right? So I don't think that was any different than what they did to Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. I think the response was the same for very different, very different sides of the platform. Um, one would, you would say would more be right leaning politically and one would be left leaning politically. I think the NFL chose the response to the way that they did, um, that it affects their game. It's their company essentially. And if it, viol- if it causes harm to their company profits, then that's what they're going to do. Um, I think they both, far as quarterback skills, were probably about the same. Uh, quarterback nah, skills, in nah. my opinion. Neither one of them were, in my opinion, were the top-tier quarterback where you're going, this guy is Super Bowl status or anything like that. I don't watch that much football. But they That's were. They, <laughs> but, but, but far as quality, I would say they're both mid-tier. Weren't the worst, weren't the best. Um, they were ostracized in the same way. Um, I will say this. It cost Tim Tebow money. It did not cost Colin Kaepernick money. He got a big Nike deal. See, the difference was one actually stood stood for what he believed in, and it cost him. Another one stood for what he believed in, and it made him money. I'm not saying he did it to make money. I'm just telling you the fact is he made money off of it. I'm telling you Tim Bo- T- Tebow did not. Same response. So when you when I judge, and that was just a few years before. So you're talking same commissioners. When you're judging things, I'm judging it on an equal playing field. Of the NFL response was pretty much the same. It was not a racial thing. It wasn't even a political thing. It was a you're interfering with my money thing. So the response was accurate. And now if Colin wants to kneel for the national anthem, that's fine. I. I disagree with it, but I think that's his right. Mm-hmm. Right I, now, do I believe you want to advocate? I think there's a different place and different time. That's my opinion, but I also know that um, 
at some point in time, you have to take a stand. And you take a stand mm-hmm. for what you believe, regardless if I disagree with your belief system, mm-hmm. I agree with your right to be able to do so. I just feel like, to me, I feel like that was his platform. Tim Tebow felt the same way. Yeah, and so, so that's, what, that's what I feel like. If there was no other better place for him to do it then there because that was his platform that mm-hmm. that was placed for him. Right. So, you know, like that's these people that's out there, you know, doing, you know, um, out there protesting and stuff. That's the platform that they have at that time. And so, like, that's what I feel like for him, you know, I don't knock him. No, you know. I, I, and again, I, I disagree, but I mm-hmm. can disagree with someone without having the whole cancellation. There's right. people that um, I I disagree with, but I still may enjoy their movies or I may enjoy. I don't. It, it's not a um, matter of if I completely disagree with uh, on an issue, but if I completely disagree with your whole entire lifestyle, that may be a different point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say far as here's the way I think change is, is, you know what, you're, you're tired of police brutality, then go put in 1800 applications at a police station. All black applicants, people that look like you or whatever you think that should good content character, put that in. Now, if they don't hire any of them and they're hiring, then take it to the federal court and go, hey, this is discrimination. I have my proof. You will get change. And then if not, take it to the Supreme Court. Now, if the Supreme Court doesn't do it, if the federal court doesn't do anything, Supreme Court, then now I can go, yes, I agree. But you have to start creating change instead of going, change starts bottom up, not top down. I'm not waiting on the government to make changes for me. I'm going to create those changes myself. So I think that you can you can have people. So in the civil rights, what they did, they had doctors, they had lawyers, they had they had people of influence and power, minister. So they created some change and some um, validity to that. And I think that's one way that we can. But you see all these shootings. Um, they're they're in um, the way that black people generally vote is democratic. That's mm-hmm. is, is Democrat. Which the um, wrong, Minneapolis, used to be different back in the day. It, it did used to be different, almost always Republican. Yes. But, but you had uh, Minneapolis, Seattle, Detroit, Chicago. You know what those cities um, all have in common? They're all ran by Democrats and have been for decades. So the people that you're mad at, that you're saying, um, like you're saying, Candace Owen, Hosh Winston, Uncle Tom, blah, 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 blah. Um, you're, av- you're advocating for change, but voting the same. So that's kind of that's backwards. Right. So you're actually mad at yourself because you keep voting the same Mm -hmm. people in and they're not making any changes for you. So you have to do something different. And that difference, I think, starts there rather than protesting. I think it's more action. Uh, Protesting is when you in my opinion is when you go, I've done everything I can do. Now I have to get the attention of the community at large. I have already applied. I have I, I have, now I'm at the appeal process, essentially. And I think that's the major way that you, you start to see those changes. But if you're not willing to sign up to be a cop, if you're not willing to sign up to be a judge, if you're not willing to change the community from the inside out, then 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 what you're going to do is you're going to risk somebody coming in that um, may seem friendly, but does not have your best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. It's real good. Um, you know, and I could be different, you know, because... I feel like, you know, 
when you had enough. You know, and some of the times you you don't have the opportunity to go apply for those jobs. You don't have the resources to go do it. You know, or um, any of the other things that you were saying. And so your your best outreach could be your voice. Absolutely. And so I just feel like, you know, some of the people that's out there, root, you know, that's protesting, that's all that they have is their voice. Mm-hmm. You know, because it takes... And we know it, hands down, it takes finances to go get a job. True. You know, you not go walk all from here all the way to Hobbs to go get no job. You know, that's, that's going to be a different ball. I mean, you could. Right? That'd be rough. You can, yeah, but it'd, it'd be, be rough every rough. single day you get that but, job. But if, so, you're, if you're uncomfortable enough, then you'll get, you'll go do it for the change. Yeah, but... That's gonna be a big change. Though. It's gonna be a big change, <laughs> but but it depends on how bad you want it. But I, yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah. So a lot of people, you know, it, it you know, it just it depends on what bar game that you are in, you know, because I agree with what you're saying, a hundred percent. You know, if that's the last, you know, that should be the last, you know, resort. <laughs> I agree with that. But some of these people, they they just feel like their resort is their mouth, is their it, speech. I- I, I agree. I, I agree with that. That that is should, should be the last resort. I also think that um, we 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 have to start to take our destinies in our own hands. That mm-hmm. we have to go our our stories. Yeah. Right. Like our stories. We did not grow up well. The mm-hmm. different deciding factor is Jesus for sure. Yes. One hundred percent Jesus and the ability to take a risk and take a chance. Sometimes if you can't do it where you are, then you need to move. Mm-hmm. And then come back strong enough where you can't go help. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a lot of strong leaders um, that can. Oprah, she has lots of money, lots of resources, lots of influence. We have Tyler Perry. We have we can name a list of people that did it. So that means that if they can do it, we can. And it doesn't mean that everyone can, but someone can. Mm-hmm. And we have to take a chance on ourselves. Go apply for the police department. Uh, go apply and, and or or train up. Uh, we have a, NFL is mostly black, and so is the NBA, almost exclusively black now. And we've done well to do that, but we haven't done well to produce doctors and lawyers. The Asian community, the Indian community at large, produce doctors and lawyers at a far greater rate because that's what they push. Mm-hmm. We produce uh, rap music is almost exclusively black, right? Almost exclusively. I mean, you got a couple white people, but that's almost a couple Latin people. But when you look at what you're promoting, that's what you're getting. So what you're putting in is what you're putting, you're mm-hmm. getting out of the machine. So I think as we start to grow and educate um, ourselves, you start to see people make those transitions. Uh, I think Jay-Z said it. I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. Mm-hmm. Right. His whole entire philosophy is he's the business. He's the brand. He's the. And I think as we start to believe in ourselves and get some education and some training, I think that's the big difference is education mm-hmm. in yeah. Jesus. So, yeah, no, that's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love how you both have, you know, just different perspectives on this. Mm-hmm. Love it. You know, um, um, one of the things that I'll ask, too, and, and I don't know if you heard the last episode with Corey Curry, but what I asked him was, um you believe like pretty much is this country um white privilege no in a way i believe yes sir and explain to me like why why you believe that um the opportunity wise you know because even way back in the day you know um 
how slave owners, they pass down things to their kids. Um, and slaves were not passed down. You know, they, they were dead or they were locked up. They were in prisons. And so the opportunity of having something passed down generation to generation helped out the white um, generation compared to helping the black generation. Mm-hmm. And um, even going out there to get along for different things. Like um, I was just trying to trade in Jamie's car um, the other day. We're just called up to, to the um, to the car dealership. And then I told her I'm from Seminole, Texas and stuff. And she, like this lady, she's like profiling me hardcore. She was like, um, are you German? I said, no, ma'am. She was like, well, um, well, do you have this amount of money to put down? I said, well, I said, my name is, you know, did she start asking? She said, what is your name? I said, it's Andre Campbell. And then she was like, well, do you either have enough money to put down? Mm-hmm. Like right away, like it's already mm-hmm. profiled, you know, before, you know, um, you even went in there to even, I hung the phone up. Because if you, you go ask me all of these questions and profile me already, I'm not even go, you know, try to take none of your business. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a lot of, I don't want to say that all white people are like it, but majority of it, like, were you taught how to save money? No. Were you taught <clears throat> how to um, um, get credit? No. Majority of the white community is taught that as kids. Yes, and and this is this is um, where I would say no. I don't believe that this country is white privilege. It's because if you, couple different reasons, is if you go to different parts of the world, um, you go more specifically, you go to China, you go uh, to places where it's a class system where where when you're born into something that is. It is very, very, very hard to escape it. In in, in the U.S., that's not the case. You can. Um, do in I certain? Uh, do I agree? Do I agree that um, white people, some white people, had a head start because of slavery and Jim Crow? Absolutely. As a generational, as a people, yes, I would absolutely say that. Would I say that um, white people? Uh, with other white people get benefit of doubt? Yes. Well, do I think it has to do with um, skin color? Sometimes, but as a as when I look at the system, um, the system is starting to be more and more corrected to being more even. Was the system built for black people? I do not agree that the system was built for us because when the system was built, it was built against us. Now, can the system work for us? Absolutely. I would not say that because you're white, you get extra benefits that I don't get. So that would be privilege. Um, I, I do think to some individuals that you are afforded an opportunity um, of benefit of doubt because of skin color. But I also would say that um, we get the same thing. But uh, I, I don't want somebody to say, oh, well, because he's black, he may not have enough money. Or because he's black, we need to give him affirmative action because he's, to me, that says I'm not smart enough to be equal to the white kid. Um, when I look at it, I don't want a handout. All I want is a fair opportunity. I want the same opportunity. And I think we have that because if we did not have the ability to do that, then we would not have had 
several different things. We wouldn't have black millionaires and billionaires. Uh, we wouldn't have had a black president because white people make up over 60% of the population. Black people, if every black person voted for Barack Obama and no white people voted for him, guess what? He wouldn't have made it into office. It's impossible. The numbers don't lie. It's just impossible. So white people had to vote for him as well. So I don't think that it's just a skin thing. I think we live in a class system. Mm. So the people that mm -hmm. you're talking about um, usually come from a higher economical, economic social status. So that's where they're taught those things because their parents were taught those things. Usually it comes from a two-parent home. Generally mm -hmm. speaking, it's a two-parent home. That's the, the major defi des deciding factor is because um, look at Beyonce and Jay-Z kids. You think they don't know financial education? I guarantee you they know they're going to know financial education, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to learn those things because the family, that's an individual um, societal problem, but that's not a government problem. So when we're talking about white privilege, I look at it from a systemic um, government level. I don't think it's a problem. As a society, I think as a culture, we, we're crabs in a barrel because we were trained to hate each other. And where black people are the only community where we don't pull our we resources, together. Yes. We, we don't pull our resources to buy something, to do something opposed to going, hey, man, me and you, we're going to live together for three years, our family, and we're going to put this money together and we're going to buy us a piece of land and then we're going to buy us a building and we're mm -hmm. going to do that. We're taught to have our own. We're taught and by own. Uh, we even had songs like everything in my mama's name. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, but that's what we glorify and what we look to. So when you look at different because if you look at the uh, Hispanic community, they pull the resources. They have places together where they build together. The Arab community does the same thing. The Asian community. Right. We have Chinatown. You, when you look at communities, you see that. But when you look at the black community, what you see is ghettos. Because of the mindset. It's, it's yes. not that we ha have little. We may have little individually, but if we pull it together, we can have a lot. We're the largest minority in the country, and, and we spend more money on consumer goods than anything else. So we, Jordans, how much is a pair of Jordans? 120 150 bucks. 200 Okay, so who's the primary buyer of Jordan shoes? Black people, right? Um, how many times have you seen a car that's worth more than somebody's house in their driveway? Black people and oil field workers. <laughs> That's real normal. Right? That's normal. But when you're looking at it and, and when you look at it, it's the things that we have we have learned and what we've been taught. So the three things to raise out of poverty that you need to do in America, not everywhere in the world, but in America, is finish school, right? Don't have any children outside of marriage until you're married and um, work. Those are the three things you do and, and, and you will raise up out of poverty. No one has, has, as a society, has said because you are black, you can't make a million dollars. You can't make a billion dollars. No one has done that. We just, as a, as a culture, we feel like we can't. We have some internal healing that we have to do as a people mm -hmm. that keeps us down. It's our mindsets that keep us down in thinking that uh, we have an enemy, like uh, the, the white man is uh, suppressing us. Uh, does it happen on an individual level? Absolutely. Are there racist judges? Absolutely. Are there individuals? Yes, but we have power when we choose to vote, when we choose to spend our dollars, how we spend our money, and when you create your own. How many black-owned businesses that were created in Detroit, and first thing we do is, hey, man, can you hook me up? Mm -hmm. Instead of going, I'm paying you full price, mm -hmm. but we'll go into Walmart and pay full price. But I want to come and you or, or negotiate you down. Mm -hmm. 
that's the mentality. Instead of saying, my brother, I'm paying you full price and I want to go negotiate over here. Dad. Mm -hmm. But that's our mindset. Or you got something clean. Now you feel like you got to watch out when you have something clean around mm -hmm. your own people uh, versus going, man, they're going to be happy for me. And, you know, and that's and, and that's the difference again, which I agree with you 100 mm -hmm. percent, because this is what my wife helped me break. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was all in the mindset. Mm -hmm. But you go down to uh, Alabama, mm -hmm. a Mississippi, a Georgia, mm -hmm. um, Tennessee, mm -hmm. and you see majority of the segregation still going on. Absolutely. That you have the white side and you have the black side. But you no know, one's on a federal level or local level is stopping either person from moving to either side. That's true. So we're self-segregating is my mm -hmm. point. Is do we do it? Absolutely. Yeah. Does it happen? Absolutely. But on a federal law level, it's it, that's illegal. Mm -hmm. So that's why I said it's it's illegal though. Yeah. But you're right. Mm -hmm. It does it, it, it is. Uh, Detroit is 89% black. 89%. It's the blackest city in the country as far as percentage-wise. Mm. Wow. All the cops, you know, you know the Detroit police force is uh like 79% black. So when they're rioting and protesting in Detroit, uh, those your cops are black. <laughs> so when you're saying Black Lives Matter, they're like, yeah, duh, we're black. Of course our lives matter. But you're no, your lives don't matter because you're in a uniform. But I'm still black. So when I look at things like that, I go sometimes the, the ideology, the, the connection isn't made because I go, I'm not going to protest you. You, you. you look like me and I'm saying your li life matters, my life matters because you're black. So even if you look at that level, you should, I go, the argument is kind of not really made there. So, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to understand that one. Man. Dude. Mm -hmm. Some good stuff here. <laughs> some very good stuff, man. Is there something that you'd like to say that maybe I didn't ask before we, uh, we head out of here? No, I think you touched on all of the all of the grounds, you know. You got it. Um, I'll just say, man, thank you for letting us come on the podcast and um share. And I would just say that take individual responsibility um for your actions, your household, train, educate yourself, spend some time reading some books, um Spend some time learning and spend some time around people of different cultures. Appreciate those cultures. Um, there's some things that are going to be weird and strange and goofy about all of them uh, to our perception of normal. But appreciate those. Appreciate traditions. And uh, everybody love everybody. Yeah, I, I think that's good because, like you said, it just appreciate different coaches and understand that it's going to be different, you know, because I know the first time when I married Jamie and, um, like, her family, Melanie, Shalee, all of them, they can cook. They can cook, like, hardcore. But when you go, like, to a um, big gathering and they have casseroles, mm -hmm. like, I wasn't used to casseroles. <laughs> I was used to collard greens, macaroni and cheese, ham. ham. I was used to yeah. some. It wasn't going back for seconds. If you mm -hmm. went back for seconds, you pigging out. Mm -hmm. 
like you falling asleep after your, you know, mm -hmm. after your meal. So, you know, there's definitely, di you know, yes. different cultures, you know, and understanding and, and, you know, just being thankful for what God created, you know? So. Yeah. Dude, well, I appreciate y'all being on here. You know, um, I love the knowledge that you, that you got to share. I, I think that definitely going to make an impact for sure. Um, love what you guys are doing. That's the road. Always bringing that fire over there at church. <laughs> Andre, too. You know, if you've never heard them speak, preach, go do it. Mm -hmm. They're awesome. Um, you do have social media. Somebody wanted to follow you. You know, what uh, kind of. Only Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, Andre Campbell, A N D R E Campbell, just like the suit. Mm -mm, good. <laughs> it's just like that. So. There you go. Uh, yeah, probably Facebook. R E N E L L Miller. It's easy enough. There we go. What is that? Renail? He's giving a Oh, what, yeah, Ro, what is your full name? Renail Doyer Miller. Doyer, gotcha. <laughs> And it's just Andre Campbell. Andre Deshaun Campbell. Deshaun, yeah, Andre yeah Deshaun he makes Campbell. fun of it all the time. <laughs> Andre Deshaun Campbell. That's right. Well, mm. uh, and then you can also go, uh, you can, I do have No Holds on Facebook, and it's also on Instagram. Go subscribe on YouTube, like, share, man, share the heck out of it. I want I want this to just to go everywhere. I want people to hear what, but they have to say, you know, any of the podcasts, share it. If, if you like it, then like it. If you also want feedback, let me give me feedback. Give them feedback. Yes. That, I would really appreciate that. But until next time, and we are out. Peace. Peace.